The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest creeps, to the backwoods swamp near the bottom, for the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. This is Alan Hops from Dark Hour Haunted House and Stilty Studios. You're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, all you fellow freaks. This is Noah Shaw, formerly of King Diamond, Merciful Fate, Therion, Notre Dame, Dream Evil, and so forth. What you're listening to is The Big Scary Show. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is the artist, author, Brahm, uh, writer of Krampus the Yule Lord. And you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Dave Prowse. Darth Vader from Star Wars, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. This is John the Flamboy from the Zombie Army Productions, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Holiday greetings. It is I, Der Krampus, here for the big scary show as they continue their annual celebration of my Krampus night. Yes, just in time for episode 225. Such wonderful treats we have for the good ones. And the naughty ones I'll carry off on my back after I give you a few whacks. Badger has deadline news. Storm will rant about an interesting event happening in the world today in Hot Minute. Jerry Vane has some wonderful music inspired by me. Some excellent, excellent Musician, you've got some between the corpses with Meat Hook Jim. And don't forget, Feister will be talking about some overlooked gems for your holiday goodness. And then, of course, the Round Table of Terror 
with the topic of me with special guests, Alan Hobbs, all-around haunter and very knowledgeable on myself. He'll also be talking with the hosts during the roundtable about me, the Krampus, the movie that was made about me, and all the other forgotten lore of the holidays that you need for your heart and to inspire your best nightmares. We'll have other great treats, maybe if you're naughty or nice, and you can enjoy or partake in the gruesome giveaway. All this, much, much more. So, enjoy your COVID practice walk, even if it's only from the living room to the kitchen to the bedroom. I'll be watching. Happy Krampus Not! I, the Krampus, bring you episode 225 of the Big Scary Show. Every once in a while, there is a special kind of horror film that becomes a horror classic. In 1931, it was Frankenstein. In 1932, it was Dracula. In 1971, it was Rosemary's Baby. In 1973, it was The Exorcist. And this year, it is From Beyond the Grave. Secret worlds become public nightmares where children's play toys are the devil's weapons. A truly terrifying motion picture where death is just the beginning and the grave is not just a resting place. And pleasant rooms become evil tombs. From beyond the grave, the horror picture you will remember all your life. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free. And see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Michael Gaither, the Krampus comes out tonight on the Big Scary Show. Kids have it easy in the Western world at Christmas time. All the boys and girls do their best to make Santa's list. But in old world Europe, there's another guy Makes the bad kids run and hide the story It goes like this He's not the Christmas angel He's Santa's evil twin On Christmas Eve, when the bad kids sleep That's when his work begins Cloven hooves and a long black suit He's really quite a sight Hide your stockings, say your prayers The Krampus comes out tonight The 
Those origins aren't that clear. They go back a couple of thousand years, but every myth agrees that punishment is his goal. He might use a switch, might use a chain. In some countries, he'll drag you away. You'd be happy to settle for a lump of coal. He's not a Christmas angel. He's Santa's evil twin. On Christmas Eve, when the bad kids sleep, that's when his work begins. A drunken beast with long, sharp teeth. He's really quite a sight. Hide your stockings, say your prayers. The Krampus comes out tonight. He doesn't get a TV special. You won't see him in a Christmas card. With any luck, you won't see him at all. gentlemen boys and girls it is time for deadline news here on the big scary show with your host me drew badger bringing you all the latest in the haunted house halloween and horror industries hello everybody this is drew badger this is deadline news for episode 225 and we're going to start things off with this news from transworld It has come once again to our attention that our attendees and exhibitors are receiving emails offering to sell our mailing lists, hotel special deals, etc. These are all fake. If it doesn't come directly from Transworld, it isn't legit. We only send out emails from HAAShow.com. There are numerous predatory companies out there that will attempt to scam you. Please don't fall for them. Transworld does not and has never sold information about our attendees, our exhibitors, or our mailing list. It's against our privacy policy, so you will never be offered someone else's information from us. If you receive emails on these topics from anybody but Transworld, please delete them and do not give them your credit card information. Also, please do not work with or give your information to any company representing themselves as the official housing company for Transworld. Reservations made by these unaffiliated organizations may have unreasonable cancellation or charge penalties or be completely non-refundable and the rates are much higher than what we offer. 
We've worked diligently with all of the hotels on our page to establish the hotel block and room rates for our attendees and exhibitors. Improper solicitation of hotel reservations from any company or housing provider is not approved by Transworld Trade Shows. Please report any unauthorized solicitations to Jennifer, Jennifer Thaler and Rich Bianco. Not sure if a message is legit? Contact Jen, Jen at HAAshow.com or Rich, Rich at HAAshow.com. Thank you for your understanding in this matter, and we hope to see you all soon. Please stay healthy and safe. Sincerely, the Transworld Team. We have this news from the JNF House of Terror in Garland, Texas. Come visit our Christmas Haunted House Maze December 11th and 13th and December 18th and 20th, beginning at 7 p.m., where you will meet Krampus. Don't miss out on our elves that have been very naughty this year. Our evil clowns will make you cry for your mama. Don't be a Scrooge. Come out and see the Grinch. We're located at 250 Cedar Sage Drive in Garland. Get more information at jnfhouseofterror.com or their Facebook page, facebook.com slash jnfhouseofterror. We have this from the Darkness Haunted House in St. Louis. Grab your friends and come to the darkness for Krampus Haunted Christmas Experience. Limited to the first 1,250 tickets sold. This is a one-night-only event, December 12th from 7 to 10 p.m. Face evil elves, demented Santa, and more. Includes free photo ops, Christmas candy, and more. Get tickets at scarefest.fearticket.com. And don't forget to book your escape room next door at stlouisescape.com. We have this news from the Containment Haunted House in Lithia Springs, Georgia. Tis the season to be scary. Containment Haunted House presents our yearly tradition, a haunted Christmas carol, December 11th and 12th. Tickets are available online now at containmenthauntedhouse.com. Containment Haunted House is intended for ages 13 and up. Parents with younger children should be aware of the intense nature of this attraction. We have this from the Nightmare Dungeon Haunted House in Greenville, South Carolina. Just when you thought the nightmare was over, the all-new nine-night special event, Nightmare Christmas. A two-story cabin with Santa and his evil elves all throughout is waiting on you and your friends. If you've been to Nightmare Dungeon in the past, you won't recognize anything because the original tour of the cabin has been changed to a complete different route. Everything has been changed into a horrific Christmas setting. Experience the most extravagant high-tech laser shows all throughout the, t- the tour and be prepared for Santa and his terrifying elves to be coming at you full force from all directions. Santa and his 40-plus elves will be sure to send the holiday fear down your spine and raise the hairs on your neck. It won't be a silent night here on these nights. What better way to spend your Christmas fear for the holidays? This event is not intended for kids 10 and under. The cozy bonfire will be warm, so bundle up and bring your friends. Running December 4th, 5th, and 10th, 11th, 12th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and once more on the 26th, the night after Christmas, is going to be the most terrifying night of all with triple the scares, and all nights start at 6 p.m. until midnight. By the way, he knows when you're sleeping. Located at 645 Old Anderson Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Get more information at facebook.com slash nightmare dungeon. And finally we have this new project, 
based on classic monster toys. This comes to us via BloodyDisgusting.com. A huge fan of the classic monster toy kit line that debuted back in the 60s, Ahmet Zappa has acquired the rights to the Weird O's property. Deadline reports the company will develop and create new shows and media based on the monster-themed hot rod toys, originally a series of polystyrene model kits from the Hawk Company. Deadline notes, Weirdos is the brainchild of William Bill Campbell, who in the early 60s set out to design a wild cast of monsters and hot rods along the lines of Ed Big Daddy Roth's designs. The Hawk Model Company released the first line of Weirdos based on Campbell's designs in 1963, spawning a hit model toy line with licenses extending from board games, masks, trading cards, records, puzzles, lunchboxes, and action figures to a short-lived animated series which aired on Fox Family in 2000. This is a dream come true for me, says Zappa. I've been a fan of Bill Campbell's work my entire life. In fact, I was inspired to call my company Monsterfoot because of artists like Bill. Weirdos combines two things I love, monsters and hot rods. What's better than that? What better indeed? Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. As many of you may know, I am a huge Darth Vader fan. I have been since I was 12. Uh, I collect a lot of Star Wars stuff. I've got all the movie posters in my bedroom. I've got a cutaway of the Darth Vader helmet next to my desk, as well as a lightsaber and a helmet that has all the neat sounds um, from the movies when you can hear it hissing and, of course, the iconic breathing sound. Unfortunately, uh, David Prowse, a.k.a. Darth Vader, did pass away recently, and we decided to pay homage to him. So we dug way back deep into the vaults where Drew Badger did an interview with him 30 minutes long at Mad Monster Party way back in, I think, 2012. So I hope you enjoy this interview and long live the Sith Lord Darth Vader. Hello, everybody out there. Drew Badger once again live at the Mad Monster Party here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And of all the people that we have interviewed and all the people we're going to yet interview, this man right here absolutely needs no introduction. But I'm going to give you one anyway. He has been a internationally known movie star. He has been a bodybuilder. He has been an actor and just done everything under the sun you can imagine. He runs the, the circuit now with the conventions is busier than he has ever been. And was an awarded an MBE by the Royal Family of England. This is none other than the man known as the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader. Mr. David Prowse, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm very, very well. Tired after a long flight, but other than that, I'm fine. I can imagine crossing the Atlantic, what, in nine hours or so? Nine hours, yeah, yeah. Nine hours, ugh. Couldn't do it. Well, I haven't done it in many, many years. Um, again, welcome to Charlotte. Welcome to the Mad Monster Party. How has uh, Charlotte treated you so far? Well, very nice so far. I mean, a lovely hotel, a beautiful hotel, lovely, lovely, lovely room. Met some very nice people. Excellent. Couldn't be, couldn't be better. 
and I understand you have spent some time in North Carolina in the past. In the past, yes. I, spent, I used to spend quite a bit of time in the Wilson area. I used to come into Wilson via Raleigh-Durham and things like this and, uh, and did all sorts of, uh, all sorts of uh, promotional work around, the, around that area. Very interesting. Because I, I grew up in the Wilson area. Yeah, I have an awful lot of family in Wilson, so we can talk barbecue and, and fishing any time. Um, tell us a little bit how you got started in this. I know that when you were younger, you got into bodybuilding and you got into working out and you started competing and things. Did that lead into your acting career, or were you already acting and then just kind of started into the bodybuilding? No, no, the, the acting came totally out of the blue. It's something I never, ever... Uh, aspire to be, you know, I never aspired to be an actor, and uh, acting as such really never interested me all that much. But I had a, um, a, a sort of a, a varied career, um, but I, 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 I really was, a, a, as, a, as a young guy, um, I was absolutely besotted with bodybuilding, and uh, all, all I ever wanted to get to was, was uh, get into the Mr. Universe contest, which I, after about 10 years training, I eventually got into the Mr. Universe contest. I started training when I was when I was 15, and I was six foot five and weighed and, and weighed about 150 pounds. Wow! And I was in and I was in a leg iron as well. I was in a leg brace, and I, um, I got rid of the leg brace. And they said, "We'll start doing some exercises to build yourself up." And I just things just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And I, I eventually um, got to the stage where I got invited to enter the. I was got, I, I, I got up to about 240 pounds. Um, at six foot seven. And I got invited to enter the Mr. Universe contest, which is a, was the biggest contest in the world. Sure. Like, you know, what year was that? Uh, 1980. Uh, wow. And, um, so you were, uh, you, I, I'm assuming you grew up watching people like Charles Atlas, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Lou Ferrigno. Arnold was a great friend, and Lou, Lou was a great friend. And, uh, yeah, well, yes, but it was, uh, I, was, I was actually before, before them. Right. You know, they, they came into the scene later on, you know. Anyway, I did. Um, I, I did the. I, I entered the universe contest, and at the end of the competition, the chief of the judges came up and he said, "Davies, I've got some bad news for you." And I said, "What's that?" He said, "You will never ever win this competition." I said, "Well, I can't see why not." I said, "I'm, I'm the biggest competitor you've ever had. I'm six foot seven, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of knocking on the sort of two, two, two seventy, two seventy pounds, like you know." And I said, "I can obviously get a lot bigger." He said, "Well, no, it's got nothing to do with your physique." I said, "Well, what's the problem?" He said, "You've got ugly feet." And I said, I said, well, I can't do anything about my feet. I can't train my feet. Like, you know, he said, well, he said, he said, if it comes to a decision between two physiques of equal standing, um, he said, the judges will nitpick and they'll, and they'll take one look at your feet and your, your hammer toes and your bunions and things like this. And they'll, they'll, they'll knock you, knock you down. So I thought, well, this is what, if this was what bodybuilding is all about, I'll, I'll, I'll turn over, I'll change. And so I turned, I turned over to competitive weightlifting. I was getting quite strong at the time. And then, um, the, within, like a, within sort of two years, um, I became the British heavyweight weightlifting champion, and I did, and I did that in 19. Gosh, I think I'm just going to go back a bit. Um, I, did, I did the I did the universe contest in 19. I think. Uh, anyway, I did I did the, Sometime I did the universe contest, and then then I changed over. Then I became I became the British heavyweight weightlifting champion, and then I was a British champion in 1960. Yeah, that's right. 19, it was 19, 1960 was the universe contest. Sorry, not, not 1980. It was 1960, and then 61, I got third place in the British weightlifting championships. 62, I won it, and I became the British heavyweight weightlifting champion. And I went to Australia for the Empire Games, and I went to Budapest for the World Weightlifting Championships. Wow. And 60, then 63, I won it again, and then 64, I won it again, and then 64, we were all training to go to Tokyo for the Olympic Games. 
and uh, they qualified and they've been selected for the team and at the very last minute we were all just we were already going to go to Tokyo over the games and the weightlifting association got in touch and said it's ter- terribly sorry Dave we haven't got enough money um, to send a complete team to to, uh, to Tokyo so uh, the heavyweight stands least chance of getting anywhere so unfortunately you won't be going wow. so I thought well there's no point I, there's no, I'm, I'm not going to sort of train for another four years and hope that I'm going to get selected for the next games so I thought I'll, t- I'll turn professional and see see what happens. So I was, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I had no no specific ideas other than running gymnasiums. I was you know, doing lots of gymnasium work at the time, and, um, and uh, I was also I was, I was working for an American weight training company, the the Weeder organization, which is very famous over here. Sure. Like, you know, and I was I was their European sales manager, and I used to travel around all over London area, um, trying to sell. Supplements and weights and barbells and dumbbells and equipment into the gymnasiums and to private people. And uh, one of the gymnasiums I used to call on was run by a guy called Rube Martin, who was a very famous English bodybuilder. And um, and he, he was a great friend of mine, like, and he said to me one day, he said, he said, we've got a stunt agency attached to the gymnasium here. He used to run this gymnasium called the Mayfair Gym. And he said, we've got a stunt agency attached to the gym. It's called Tough Guys. <coughs> and... Uh, he said, if ever there was any work in show business, he said, would you be interested? I said, <coughs> I said, <coughs> excuse me. I said, no, I said, I, I said no, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not an actor. I've never done any acting. I've never had any acting training and things like this. He said, no, don't worry about this. He said, we'll cross this hurdle to get, when we get to it. <laughs> he said, we, 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 he said, we, he said there, there could be a niche for you in show business. Sure. Say. I said, well, in what way? And he said, well, he said, we get loads of people coming to get in touch with the agency and they want, they want a big guy. But at the moment, they've, they've only got a choice. Of, if they want a big guy, they've only got a choice of either an ex-boxer or an ex-wrestler. Right. And he said, the rest, the boxers have got their noses splashed all over their faces. Like, you know, <laughs> and the wrestlers have got these terrible cauliflower, cauliflower ears. ears right. and, and he said, and he said, he said, you come along. He said, you're, he, was, he said, you're six foot seven. And he said, you're, you're, near, you're, near, you're nearly 280 pounds. Like, you know. And he said, you've got a great physique. And he said, and you're reasonably good looking. And he said, Except for he your said, feet. He said, so he said, yeah. He said, he said, nobody's going to look at your feet. And, uh, and I, I said, oh, I, I said, fine, love you. I said, anything, anything crops up, you know, let me know. And within. Was within, he thinking like stunt work? No, no. Or just no, like no, playing no. the well, heavies? Well, doing or? the heavies primarily, okay, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, but within, within a couple of weeks, I, I got a phone call saying, could I get to the Browns of the Mermaid Theatre in, 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 uh, in London? And it was it was at the time that the, the uh, it was run by a guy called Bernard Miles, who had been against Sir Bernard Miles, who was a very really famous actor, stroke director. And uh, I went around to see him, and uh, he said, "Well, we got this play here called Don't Let Summer Come." And uh, the big finale of the play is that um, we're waiting. Death, uh, the main actor in the play, there's only three people in the play. There was Kenneth Griffith, Liz Fraser, and Caroline Mortimer. And the two girls who worked on him all the way through the all the way through the play, right. and he's eventually led on a bed waiting for death to take him away. You see, and so we said we need an actor to play the part of death. You see, oh, wow. and he said, but but what we need, he said, it's very specific what we need. And he said we need, he's going to be led flat on the bed, all wrapped up in red velvet, and we want him to levitate. You see, and he said we've um, and he said we've um, we've done all sorts of different things, and we've tried all sorts of different ways of doing it. And he said, the, you know, the poor, the poor actor has been dropped about six or seven times already. <laughs> and uh, he said, we're, we're told the idea of, you know, giving it up. And he said, but he said, you, would you think you could do it? And I said, yeah, of course I could. I could do it quite easily, you know. I, you know I could, that's, uh, I'm not the British heavyweight weightlifting champion for nothing, <laughs> like, you know. So he said, well, we'd like to see. So, so they led him on this bed. And, uh, and, uh, 
I went over and scooped him up and sort of held him up. I said, you know, where, where would you like him like this? Like, and they said, right. could you do that twice nightly? And I said, if you pay me enough money, I'll tell as many times a night as you like. Is it? <laughs> and that got me into that got me as into into the play, and the, the, and through getting into the play, that got me into the actors' union, which right. was a big thing. That was mm-hmm. a very big thing because at that time you couldn't you couldn't get into the union unless you had a job, and you couldn't get a job unless you were a member of the union. It was a ridiculous situation. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, it got me into the actors' union. I did the play, and then uh, and then then everything sort of snowballed from there on. It's like, uh, this, um, the agent guy was uh, who ran the gymnasium, kept on sending me out for odd bits and pieces of work. You know, like, they're all small, small stuff. Sure. You know? uh, but then gradually, but work is work. But yeah, yeah. but then gradually the, the parts got better and better and better, and uh, and then I said, uh, so I suppose it, uh, for me, um, the parts culminated with. Um, uh, I think it was 1970 and um, I, got, I got offered um, Stanley, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick got in touch exactly. well, what happened, I got a phone call from Stanley Kubrick and, uh, or I got a phone call from his secretary, from his office I said, can, uh, Mr Kubrick would love, very much like to see you and can you, can you, come, to the, um, can you come to his house so I said, yeah, 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 I'd love to he said, well he's, he's, he's working on this movie but he's working on Clockwork Orange at the moment and uh, he's, 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 he's tied up all, you know, at the studios. He said, but, we, you know, the best time to come up would be come up like 7 o'clock of an evening, come up to the house. Well, it was about a two-hour drive from where I lived. And I chased all the way out there and sort of sat around and I waited and I waited and I waited. And it got to about 9.30, still no sign of Stanley coming in, you see. Mm. Then a phone call comes through and says, terribly sorry, Mr. Kubrick is detained on set. Mm. I can't see you, you see. So can you make another appointment, you see? So I made another appointment for the following day, and exactly the same thing happened. Chased all the way out there. It took, took me two hours to drive up to his house. Sat around, waited and waited and waited. And once again, the message came through saying, "Terribly sorry, Mr. Kubrick is de- detained on the set." And they said, uh, "Can you make another appointment?" You see, and I thought oh, there was, I was there, him and an eye, and like you know. And they said, um, uh, "Can you make it at your convenience?" You know? I thought, well, the only time he's not going to be working will be seven o'clock on a Sunday night. He won't be working <laughs> Sunday night, you see. And uh, and I said, I'll, I'll, "I'll come up on Sunday evening." And they said, "That's fine, lovely, lovely." And uh, Got there on the Sunday night, and there was Stanley there waiting for me, Lena, and uh, and I, I went there and I had a lovely, had a nice chat with him, and uh, and uh, and he said, "But this is um, I'm doing this film," and he said, "There's a there's a lovely lovely part in it for for you um, playing the body, Julian, who's the bodyguard to the writer." He said, "There's two two major scenes in it that we need, that we would like you to do, and one is where you've got to carry Alex down the stairs, mm-hmm. and another one later on." Uh, where you'll be working with the with the writer, uh, Patrick, like Patrick McGee, and anyway, so I, I, that, that got me into got me into Clockwork Orange. And, and Clockwork Orange turned into just was, such a cult film. Uh, well, the thing is, is that, uh, all of a sudden, because I because I'd worked for Stanley Kubrick, I suddenly became Dave Price actor, and mm. I, oh yeah, that, that, I, I I was no longer the heavy and the monster and the creature right. and all these things that I'd been doing. Um, I was I was Dave, you know, Dave Price Dave Price actor and. Uh, and then, as luck would have it, um, the film came out very briefly in 19. I think we did it in 70. And it came out very, very briefly in like 71, I think it was. And, um, and then, uh, and then it, it was Stanley started getting all these death threats. And everybody was threatening to kill him because they, everybody thought this movie was so bad. You know? Right. Not without its controversy. Well, it was all the sex and violence. Of course. Basically Which, you know, nowadays it's almost yeah, considered yeah, tame, yeah, yeah, but back yeah, then yeah. it was. Yeah, well, it was really very, very. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, um, 
what happened? Stanley, Stanley got fed up all this, and they said, "That's it. That's it. I'm going to take it off the take it off the circuit. Nobody will ever see it again." Mm. And um, and they didn't until he died. You know, the day after he died, the movie there was, was out. There it was. But in the in that short period that it was on on the show, which is like 70, 70 once, like seventy, like seventy one, seventy two, that sort of period. In the short period it was out, George Lucas saw it. And next thing I know, when it, uh, they, I um. I, I, I get an invite to. Um, uh, I heard the, the, the managing director of 20th Century Fox called me up, and so I said, um, it's "Somebody who I knew actually." And uh, he said, "Oh, Dave," he said, "I said I got this. I got this young guy who come over from came over from America, and he's he's um, he's, he's, he's he's they're setting up a film um, at Elsie Studios, and he, he very much wants to see you." He said. I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. I, I, uh, you know, how, you know, what's, the, what's the situation? He said, well, I don't know much about it. He said, but he, he definitely wants to see you. And, uh, would, you would you like to come to the 20th Century Fox offices up in Soho Square in, in London? So I, I went up to went up to went up to this, um, this, these beautiful offices where 20th Century were, and, and I got ushered in and I'm just to introduce to George. who looks like some young student, like you know. <laughs> And he takes me into the room, and, and, and it's got all these conceptual drawings all the way around the around the around the, around the room. And, um, and he said, I'm, doing, I'm, "I'm making this film called Star Wars." And he said, "And these are all the all the conceptual drawings about different scenes in the movie and things like this, you know." And he said, "I'd like to offer you one of two parts in the movie." I mean, I'm being offered I'm being offered one of two parts. Not like even auditioning. Parts, you know, not even auditioning. Mm. He said, "I said, excuse me, I don't, if you don't mind me asking, I said, how, how did you know of me?" I said, "Because you know, all my work is in the UK." I said, and you're obviously coming over from California. I said, and I've never done any, I've never done any Hollywood movies or any plays. He said, Dave, he said, I saw you in Clockwork Orange. He said, if you're good enough for Stanley Kubrick, you're good enough for me. And that, and that was <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I said, well, what are the two parts? He said, well, the first one was a character called Chewbacca. I said, what in the hell is Chewbacca? And he says, like a hairy gorilla that goes through the film on the side of the goodies. And all, all I could think of was like three months in a gorilla skin, you know, hot and sweaty and smelly, what that was all going to be. And I said, no, I don't fancy that very much, George. I said, what's the other one? He said, well, the other one's the big villain of the film. And I said, don't say any more, George. I'll have, the, I'll have the villain's part. And he said, tell me for why. I said, well, you think back on all the movies that you've ever seen where there are goodies and baddies. I said, you always remember the bad guy. Very true. And he said, Dave, he said, he said nobody will ever forget Darth Vader. And here we are. <laughs> 35 years, years later. years later, yeah, wow. yeah. And that's basically how it all started. That's how it all started. And, and then, of course, you know, through Clockwork Orange, um, enabled me not through through Star Wars enabled me to do all sorts of different things. I became I also became the figurehead of the British government's road safety campaign for children. You became the Green Cross Codeman. Yeah, that ran for World 14 famous. years. Yeah, 14 years I did that. It Maybe. never ran in the states. Then no, I no, it was, only, it was an English campaign because right. it was just teaching children how to cross roads safely. You know, to you know not to run out in front of the cars and watch traffic as you stand Were you more of a superhero type yeah, character? Yeah, like, like Superman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had this beautiful green suit, and <laughs> a green and white suit. And, but <clears throat> what happened was we did uh, we did three commercials a year for five years. That was from 76 through to 80. And then um, and then from 80 to 90, I did nothing else but go around the schools. I, went, I did 10 years. of, And I used to do three schools a day, five days a week. Um, or for the, for the entire school period, like that. So probably at every school in Britain. Every, I loved every minute of it. So I, I've always said it's the greatest job I ever had. And Think of all the lives you've yeah, probably well, saved. I'll tell you how many we, we we actually did a reckoning up of it because when the road safety campaign started, the the accident figures in Great Britain were running at forty thousand a year. Wow. Forty thousand children a year were getting injured and killed on the roads. Um, when we finished the campaign, 
um, we'd reduced it to 20,000. We halved. We wow. halved the number of kids. And if you added it all up over, over the 14 years that we were doing it, it actually worked out that we actually saved over a quarter of a million children's lives. I mean, in the year, two, in the year 2000, um, I got awarded the MBE from the Queen. I was going to ask you if, if yeah, Green Cross Codeman led yeah, you to yeah. be getting an MBE. MBE. Got awarded the MBE, which is a member of the, the Order of the British Empire. That's that's and not the same as being knighted, is no, it? No, 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 no. That's not. but it's a no, similar it's, it's, type it's of award. It's, it's actually the lowest. Oh, okay. Virtually the lowest of the awards. You you get the MBE, then you get the OBE, and you get the, the CVE, and the and then 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 you get into the the, the things like knighteds and things right. like this. You know, the lords and ladies. You still have time all to work things. your way through the oh, ranks. Yeah, you yeah, you might get a Sir thing. David Prowse well, before it's all said. There's lots of things happening at the moment. I mean, I'm I'm now at the present moment. I'm I'm, I'm plastered all over other buses, on on the backs of buses. And, and also, and, and I'm also my, my picture's gone up in all the Marks and Spencer stores, you know, which is the biggest, one of the biggest chain stores mm-hmm. in Great Britain. And, uh, and I'm, I'm the sort of figurehead now of the Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Right. And so all my pictures are up all over, all over the country. People are so ringing out saying, oh, I saw your picture on the back of a birthday. But, you so know. maybe some of the children that yeah. you saved back in oh, the yeah, 70s yeah. and 80s, you're now, you're now saving, saving, from saving from prostate, prostate cancer. cancer. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and then I got another one and another one. Um, I launched a new road safety campaign for for young drivers, and I did that recently. Um, and I'm now I got another, there's another one coming up. I'm just uh, I'm from Bristol. My home is in Bristol. In Bristol, mm-hmm. and they're now having what they call a Bristol Walk of Fame. And I'm uh, they they've had they've inducted I think about 25 or 30 people, very famous, you know, like I'm mean, going way back, like, like sure. people like that. Um, well, in, in British history, like you probably a lot of people you wouldn't remember, you wouldn't know. All. But, uh, but uh, you know, Isambard K. Brunel, for instance, who was the, the big shipbuilder and engine builder and train builder, and these these he was inducted into this. this right. Thing. And they have these blue plaques now, which they're putting up all over. They, we have a, we have in, in Bristol we have a, um, one of the greatest zoos in the world, and, um, and it's a beautiful, lovely botanical gardens and things like that. You know, and they're putting all these plaques up. To all these famous people, and I'm, I'm being inducted into oh, one of the famous Bristolians um, in, um, I think it's in April. April. So you will live in infamy. I live in infamy. Yeah. yeah Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah. So. so you said that one of your greatest achievements was Green Cross Code Man. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, the thing that children loved you. Yeah, you had yeah. commercials and all that. Yeah. Um, were there any? Any things that you regretted doing? Any, I mean, I know you did all the Hammer's House of Horror films. I know those were great. You were Frankenstein a few times. You played heavy. You were even on Benny oh, Hill. They were lovely. I, I never regret, regretted anything. Okay. I don't, I don't, you know, because I, I, I know that sometimes actors, if they're in a slump or something, they'll take a job, and then they'll no. say 10, 20 years later, I wish I'd never done that job. No, and, no, 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 no. I've, not, I've, never, I've never felt that way at all. How did I you like, like doing those I House of Horrors? Oh, oh, loved it. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were great fun. Great fun to do. I mean, because I mean, the, well, working with Hammer, it was like work, like working with a family, a family business, like you know, it was a, and you were sort of welcomed into the family business, as it were. <laughs> you know, uh, no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And now you pretty primarily do the convention circuit. You travel around the the countries well, and the world. Just yeah, sh- well, I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm I'm involved with lots of different charities. Sure. I do a lot of charity work. Um, so I'm like involved with the prostate cancer charity. I'm involved with the. I'm vice president of the physically handicapped and able-bodied association, which is what they call FAB, which is a, a, like a um, charity for um, arthritis people, mm-hmm. arthritics. Um, oh, it's just, uh, there's, there's all sorts of other different charities. I, I was actually um, uh, 
I do some I was doing some charity work with the Reeve Irvine Institute for Stem Cell Research. Because of Christopher Reeve, you know, because right. of my association with Christopher Reeve. You were friends with him. You, yeah, well, I, you, you, you I, I trained him, him for up. Superman, I believe. I built him up for the role of Superman. I put 40 pounds on him in six weeks. Wow. So that he, could, so that he looked reasonably when he went into his Superman suit. Yeah, that was a that was a interesting experience. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. he put 40 pounds on <laughs> I need to no, lose 40 no, pounds. That's no, just, my problem. Just, just serious training, just knowing how to train somebody. Right. I know, know how to you know, go about it in the right way and, and not waste time doing exercises you don't need to do and, but, but, but working on all the major muscle groups and, and the other thing is this is not it's, it's not not only the training but it's also the feeding as well you see mm-hmm. you the, the feeding you've got to get the, the your, your food intake right so that, you, so that the muscle development can happen i know you've had a few <coughs> medical issues over the past few years do you still oh, yeah. work out and still yeah, keep yourself yeah. well trained i mean you know you look great yeah. for a man in his 70s 76 yeah, seventy-seven this year. Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. So I said to my wife yesterday. yesterday she said, uh, "I said, yeah, I, said you know, I said, but well, I was having a bit of an argument with her, and she said, and I said, I think don't think you appreciate what I do. You know what, you know what, what I'm up to and what I'm doing." And she said, "Dave, she said, I don't feel she said, I don't know anybody of your age that's doing what you what you the, the, <laughs> the, the, the amount of traveling you do and the amount of work you do and the way you do it and all this sort of business and." Uh, she said, no, she said, I'm full of admiration for you. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. And you've been married for oh, a long time. 50 years next year. Congratulations. Yeah, so in 2013, we celebrate our golden our golden wedding anniversary. Well, in the age where, you know, Hollywood marriages seem oh, to last, you know, two years. or three years at best, you know, yeah, and that's yeah. an old couple there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is is that different in in the film industry in England? Do couples stay married longer there, yeah, or is it kind well, of similar to Hollywood? No, I think, I think with, with all... With all um, Hollywood romance or, or film romances, you know. That, I mean, things are great for the, for, the, for the short period that you're working with them, and, uh, and then I think I think things go very very cold when you know, when you get to the, the cold light of day, and, and, you, and, you're, and you're, you're together, and things and things may and are not going too well. For instance, you're not working. Right. And there's, there's, a, you know, there's a, a complete difference between you know when you're when you're happy and you're working, or you're both working and you're both earning, and then all of a sudden the work dries up. And mm. then, uh, that's and the risk any actor has. Then it causes a few problems. Yeah. Ever since I found out you were coming <coughs> to this convention, I've wanted to ask you mm-hmm. this question. What was it like working with Benny Hill, who was one of my absolute favorites? And probably yeah. the very first time I ever saw you on TV was the infamous Wishing Well, Wishing well sketch. Wishing Absolutely. That sketch is actually the most famous Benny Hill sketch of the lot, of all the sketches he's ever done. It was the most famous. Ever. And they used that one to sell the Benny Hill show. All around the world, yeah. <coughs> and like, I'm continually getting residuals coming in from that. Very nice. From, yeah, and not very much. You don't get much. No, I understand. But it's, you know, it's, you've got, you like, um, you know, the cells from the, the Benny Hill sketch to Borneo, for instance, like, right. you know, of all places. Yeah. And you, and you, you find your you two dollars or something like that. Sure. You get something, it's only, it's only very minor. But you've got these great long invoices, you know, all these different places that have got the, have the Benny Hills. And it's shows. fascinating to just and, see and, the people who yeah. are buying oh, and where know, you're, know, where you're actually know. selling. That's gotta be but amazing. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed working yeah, with him. He, he was, he was very nice. I mean, I, 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 I worked with him several times and, uh, you yeah, know, I, I did a, I did another one where, um, uh, he was, um, I was, I was a jogger. And, and and I was I was having trouble with my girlfriend on in the in the in the scene like you know, that was a, that was another nice little one I did with them Morecambe and Wise as well that was another they were famous very famous probably even more famous in Benny Hill and Great Britain they were the, the biggest duo right. 
that we had. Yeah. I used to watch on Sunday evenings. They used to have a whole night of British comedy. Yeah, yeah, they used yeah, to have yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know the two Ronnies. They used to have you know Benny yeah, Hill. They used to have Monty Python. You know the, the ones yeah, that people yeah, are you know yeah. Doctor in the House and, yeah, and all yeah. that. And I've, I've always loved British comedy. Mm-hmm. It's a very unusual type of dry wit and mm-hmm. great humor and mm-hmm. a lot of what I like to call intellectual humor too and you know Benny Hill was just kind of the antithesis mm-hmm. of all that he was just like oh, you know yeah, yeah. you know hot chicks and bikinis yeah, and right, yeah, chasing yeah, women yeah. in lingerie and yeah, you know yeah, that's yeah. that's why I love that's that show as well yeah, and of course yeah. you know I'm nine years old and watching that on TV yeah, with yeah, eyes yeah, as big yeah. as saucers you know it's an no, awful lot of fun he was, 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 was great fun to work with I, I, I enjoyed it yeah. very much so well Mr. Prowse it has been an absolute golden pleasure and opportunity to speak with you uh, you know I, I enjoyed picking you up at the airport sorry I was a few minutes late I got okay, tied up with the TSA people and parking issues and all that I wish you nothing but success especially with you know the con I, I'm sure there's going to be just thousands of people here lining up to talk with you about various you know shows whether it's the horror movies Frankensteins or that sci-fi thing you made back in the 70s that caught on a bit <laughs> and I hope you sell lots of merchandise uh, again yeah, I hope yeah. your your campaigns for prostate cancer and the other charities yeah, that you work that's, with that's are, the big thing actually is, that, is that, it's enabled, it's, you know, it's enabled me to do all sorts of different, you know, different things. You know, the, the Star Star Wars is, a, is, is is has been a great, you know, a great fillip to my career, as it were. You know, Probably get more residuals from that than Benny Hill. Maybe um, just a few. Well, no, yeah, well, you know, no, you don't. I mean, the residuals are, are very few and far between. You know, really? You know, that died out years ago. Yeah. Hmm. But the, um, no, but it's, it's the, um, it's, it enables, as I said, enables you to. Um, do all sorts of different things, and, and uh, it enables me to get involved in lots of different charity work, which is what I love to. I love, I love to get involved. Without getting too much into Star Wars, did you like the recent first three movies that came no. in that kind of led up to you? No, I didn't like them at all. Actually. I thought they were, well, I thought there was a there was a terrible difference between. I thought the, the first, I mean, four, five, and six, which are the three I was involved. Absolutely, in, I thought they were great movies. I mean, they, they, they were they were great movies. And each, anybody each over the age of thirty yeah. will probably tell you, <coughs> and I totally agree with you, that yeah, they are yeah. absolutely the best. But then, but then, then, the, uh, but the thing was, is that they were, um, they, they were very. Um, how can you say? You know, it was like the technology. I mean, we, we had no technology at the right. time, like you know, and, 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 and it was all sort of all done. I won't say on a shoestring, but it was all. Um, Make do, make do, and mend. Almost like you know. Sure. I mean, it was uh, real props uh, and real things as opposed to this computer generated. And and then, of course, what happened then is they they went back and decided to do one, two, three, and that was all. Well, then of course it was all CG and everything else, and and I think it 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 ruined it. I think it really really did ruin them. I I don't honestly think the stories were all that good. Not on the first three. This is my personal opinion, and um, and I and I really um, I, I, I. I, when I when I heard that Vader was going to come back in Episode Three, I went out of my way to uh, try and try and obviously I let Lucas let know that I wanted to reprise the role, and uh, and I kept getting turned down every 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 turn, and then eventually eventually they came and said they're terribly sorry, but Hayden Christensen's got it in his contract um, that he can play Vader. He wants to play Vader. Uh, when when Vader is uh, a master, not a master, but when it's revealed, created, revealed so to speak, in yeah. episode three, and of course, and the funny thing was, of course, is like when they were filming it, they were filming it in Australia, and I was in Australia at the uh, time when they were filming it, and, uh, and I, but I, I didn't, I, I didn't like, it, I didn't like, it, I didn't like what it looked like. It looked, to me, um, it looked it just, it looked, it looked just like a Frankenstein movie. It looked like Frankenstein rising from the 
you know, rise, rising, right. rising up, as it were, you know, from... Uh, there been a lot of comparisons to that. I've heard other yeah, people yeah. mention that too, especially with yeah. you know the breaking of the, you know just breaking out and yeah, all that. Yeah, and all. yeah, yeah. But very interesting. It's very interesting to hear, you know, especially when there was such a long distance. You know, there was close to sixteen years between mm, the, right. the movie Six and yeah, Movie yeah. One came well, out, yeah, yeah. and you know there are always those rumors that there's supposed to be a post trilogy. You know, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. which may or may never ever be made. You know, the the books yeah, and yeah, the yeah. canon and the magazines and everything yeah, from so yeah. long has just grown into such a huge thing, and you had such a big part in that. Mm-hmm. You know, do you look back on that and just you know swell up with pride sometimes, just thinking, you know, I was a part of arguably the largest oh, yeah, franchise yeah, in yeah. history. Yeah. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I'm very, very, very proud of that. And voted one of the most recognizable well, I mean, characters on the planet I'm now, I'm now as well. I now regarded as the ultimate screen villain of all time, which is which is which is a, a lovely accolade to have. It's because like, everybody <coughs> remembers the bad guy. Everybody <laughs> remembers the bad guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, Mr. Prowse, it has been an absolute pleasure Dave, to speak. Actually. I'm sorry. Dave, Dave, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you you. again for the Big Scary Show. Uh, This is our debut episode that we're putting out, and I'm glad you could absolutely be a part of it. I hope you you sell just tons of merchandise, meet (laughs) tons of fans, and I know that Mad Monster Party is going to continue on in the years to come, and I hope you are invited to come back many, many times as well. Well, thank you once again. This is Drew Badger live in Charlotte, North Carolina, my hometown for the Big Scary Show, and I am out. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts, Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the earth, this is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, fess up. Who did it? Who's responsible? Because it's gotta be a haunter. We're all friends here. Come on, you can just tell us. Who's sticking monoliths everywhere? I mean, it's freaking amazing. I hope you heard about this, unless you've been under a rock or under a monolith. You might not have. But yes, a monolith showed up in Utah. So these guys flying a helicopter for Bureau of Land Management are counting sheep from the helicopter. How they don't crash the helicopter from counting the sheep, I don't know. But they see something shiny. So they go over investigating. And what do they see? A monolith in the middle of nowhere. So they go check it out. Ooh, monolith. And then post pictures. So, of course, people come and go see it. And then... It vanished. The monolith vanished. It just went away. And then there have been other sightings. One showed up in Romania. One has shown up in um, California. So these monoliths are starting to show up, which is absolutely fantastic. And it absolutely has to be a haunter thing, because who else would be crazy enough 
to just start putting monoliths everywhere. Nope, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, there's all kinds of neat reports with how the monoliths are disappearing and stuff. And, oh, yeah, it's wonderful, fun, crazy things. So this goes to say, if you're a haunter and you're not putting up monoliths, why not? We should be doing this, especially now with business and stuff. You see the attraction of it. You know, you're a haunter. You know how to build these things. You know how to sneak around the shadows. If the taco place down the street isn't doing well because of COVID, go stick a monolith in their parking lot. How fantastic is that? And, you know, even if you don't want to go that far and risk, you know, that type of popularity and you don't have a favorite taco shop, even though every haunter does have a favorite taco shop, even if it's a Taco Bell and, you know, you need some help, but, you know, it'll work. It's still a taco shop. Anyway, maybe you should be putting a monolith in your haunt next year. That's right, find a monolith. Just stick it in your hayride. Stick it over there. It could be a big monolith, a tiny monolith, a giant monolith. Monoliths everywhere! Because apparently this grabs the public and is fantastic for, you know, just appeal, fascination, and going viral. So until next time, keep every minute scary with monoliths! Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Store. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Midnight Syndicate, Krampus, on The Big Scary Show.
Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And ladies and gentlemen, the holiday season is upon us, and of course, tis the season of gift giving. So let's give out a fantastic gift, courtesy of Screamline Studios. Once again, it's the time for the December gruesome giveaway, sponsored by ScreamlineStudios.com. Please be sure to go visit ScreamlineStudios.com and get your orders in before it's too late. Or you could win something right here and right now. I'm about to ask a question. The answer is in the show. If you think you know the answer, send us your name, your phone number, and of course the answer to contest at BigScaryShow.com before midnight on Monday, December 21st. It's just that easy. So without further ado, the question for the December gruesome giveaway is... During the Roundtable of Terror, our guest talks about a hideous creature from folklore described as women with giant beaks. And I will admit during the Roundtable that I had never heard of these creatures, women with giant beaks. What is the name of those creatures? If you think you know the answer, once again, email us your name, your phone number, and the answer to contest at BigScaryShow.com before midnight on December 21st, and we will randomly select an entrant, and you could be the winner of the December gruesome giveaway. Thank you once again to StreamlineStudios.com for all these fantastic prizes that they supply to us every single year, every single month. If you don't win this time, you can always try Next month, remember folks, previous winners and family members of the Big Scary Show staff and owners are not eligible to win. Good luck! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to December. It looks like the end of 2020 is finally in sight. Hopefully we can all make it through this last month. But you know, we just keep pushing on and moving on. Because <laughs> what else What else can we do? But I digress. You know, usually about this time of the year, we start thinking about that big fellow with the big package carrying thing on his back. And he goes around and looks for all the children. Of course, we are talking about Der Krampus. Who else would we be talking about as haunters? You know, December 5th, the day this show drops, is Krampus Nacht. Usually the night that the Krampus wanders around looking for the naughty children to punish. And for those who have been living under a rock the last few years, you must realize by now Krampus has been taking a huge foothold 
in the American haunt industry and pop culture in general. So usually for our first show in December for the last several years, we have talked about Dirk Krampus, and we have somebody who knows an awful lot about Dirk Krampus, who has been on our show as a resident expert several times in the past. He was actually a featured interview on Big Scary News a couple of months ago, but we're always happy to welcome back Mr. Alan Hops from the Dallas, Texas area, who is currently making a giant snowman for Gatorland in Florida, as he told us. So we're definitely going to have to talk to him about that in a moment. But, Alan, how are you, sir? Uh, I am doing great. Thank you guys for having me on again. I appreciate it. It is always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Um, we may have a second guest joining us in a bit. We may not, but we won't mention any names because, again, it may not happen. But I'd like to bring in the rest of our host to talk about the Krampus and other things. Up in the frozen wastelands of Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings from the Great Rhode Island Pause. Google that. <laughs> I have, and it's fascinating. Down in Cincinnati, where the winter has just begun, we have Meat Hook Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's going to be colder where you are, Drew, than it's going to be here tomorrow. Yeah, that's fine, but I was on a beach yesterday, and you were not. Hey. Up in Columbus, Ohio, which is already getting snow <laughs> in December, we have the Hostermanless Jerry Vane. We... <laughs> My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, where I have spent the first Thanksgiving at the beach in many years since, well, since before Pop died. But anyway, we are talking Der Krampus tonight with Alan Hobbs. Alan, for the benefit of those who are not that familiar with Der Krampus, and you don't have a very elderly opa or oma at your house to tell you who it is, can you please enlighten us on who Der Krampus is? Uh, absolutely. Um, every every country that touches the Alps mountain range has stories of a creature that comes down from the mountains um, on December 5th in order to punish naughty children. And it is a haired beast with horns, and they kind of have a wild parade as they come down from the mountain, and they come through the village, and all the villagers will line up uh, on Krampusnacht and witness this parade and all of these Krampuses coming by, and it, it's wild. There's always, there's there's fire, they have torches, and, you know, it's almost always snowing just because of the time of year and where they are, and it's, it's visually a very beautiful event, and then they bring their children, and as the Krampuses come by, they push the naughty children into the street so the Krampuses can beat them with a bundle of birch sticks called a rutin. And um, so the Krampus is a great and terrible Christmas demon. There are small, there are friendlier versions of Krampus that will travel around with Santa, and. You know, they'll distribute coal, uh, uh, and Santa just deals with the nice kids, and Krampus deals with the bad kids. Um, he is what we refer to as a nursery bogey, which is a type of creature kind of meant to keep uh, children in line. A nursery bogey. Uh, like Jenny Greenteeth uh, in England, who is a uh, 
basically a, a water witch or a pond hag. You know, if you go near the water, Jenny Greenteeth will drag you in and drown you because, you know, kids don't know how to swim and make poor choices. Um, but Krampus is another nursery bogey. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And it's, it's something, it's so alien to us and our civilized world. I think he's really gained a foothold in the last 10, 15 years. And I think it's just going to grow in popularity. Absolutely. I mean, there have been haunted houses and haunted attractions that have been putting on Christmas events over the last few years. And every year there seems to be more and more. And every year there's more and more advertising of come see the Krampus or Merry Krampus or Krampus Night of Terror and things like that. It just seems like the perfect thing to combine the Halloween and Christmas industries together. And I, I want to make a little bit of a note. This year, with with COVID, this year, Krampus has a huge advantage over Santa Claus. Krampus encourages you to run away from him. That's social distancing. Santa wants you to come and sit on his lap. That's technically kind of creepy. So I, I think that Krampus this year has a big advantage because the nature of a, a Krampus creature there's distance involved. You want to be a little bit further away from him. Well, I think that's also the, you don't want to get beaten and you don't want to get stuffed in his, in his basket and carried away where he will devour you or otherwise. So, you know, that's perfect. Um, so there, um, who, who, who are we kidding? A majority of our listeners wants to sit in Krampus's lap. Come on, people. Uh, and you know what? We normally have an event like that that we do at Dark Hour where it is photos with Krampus. We're not doing it this year. Uh, this year we're, we're turning it into a Toys for Tots drive-by event where people can drive through, wave to characters through their car window, and drop off the Toys for Tots. Uh, so we're not doing that indoor element this year with it. But, yeah, that is a kind of a popular thing. It sounds like, you know, you know more and more haunted houses and haunted attractions are just going to jump on the Krampus bandwagon. You know, you hear about evil Santa and evil elves and stuff, but the Krampus has become kind of the cornerstone of, of all of this. A uh, question I don't think we've ever asked you is when did you first hear about the Krampus and when did you become fascinated by it? Um, so I started a mythical monster museum I think I did my first year of that at Scarborough Renaissance Festival in 2003 or four is what I think. And one of those years for sure. And uh, the Monster Museum opened up and in getting ready for that, I'd always been into monsters, being a special effects artist. I had a bunch of molds and things, but I really wanted to delve into to more and as I was looking and I was focusing on European monsters and creatures simply because I was doing a Renaissance festival based in England, uh, 1500s England. And, um, in a book called Carol roses encyclopedia, Carol roses encyclopedia. And it's of like monsters, giants, trolls, and there's two versions of it. And it, they're very thorough monster reference books. Um, in that, it talks about the Krampus. And then I looked in all my other books and I tried to find entries for the Krampus and there really wasn't a lot. Um, 
But that's that's sort of when I first heard about it. And I'm like, it's a hairy monster that comes down from the mountains to punish children. I'm in, you know, um, I, I really just love the concept of it. And that's one of those moments where I can remember reading that entry in the book. I know exactly where I was sitting and it just it struck such a chord to me. And now, however many years later, he's actually a pretty big part of my life. I know that you have made Krampus masks and you've made Krampus costumes. Has it become kind of this time of the year, it's all Krampus all the time for what you build in your shop and what you work on? Almost. Um, And one of the things that I try to do with, I tend to run my haunted house company a little bit differently. Uh, One of the things I say is still be studio so different, it's scary. And part of that being different is, I sort of invite being copied and replicated by other vendors because one of the things that I want to do is I want to fill holes in the industry. And as soon as that industry is that, that hole is filled because you couldn't get Krampus masks here before. Well, I brought Krampuses uh, to trans world in 2011 and no one knew what they were. Like I had to explain to everybody who walked by except Ben Armstrong, uh, what, what a Krampus was. And I had to explain it. And, you know, I had several left over at the end of the show because they just didn't get it. Um, they, they did end up selling, but you know, cause they are cool looking monsters if you know about Krampus or not. But then, so now I'm kind of asking myself the question, can I back off of Krampus masks? Because there are so many other vendors who make them and it doesn't make me mad. It, it makes me happy and thrilled you know, the world needs more monsters. I don't care if I'm the one to make them, you know, but this is a need. And also, Krampus deserves more styles out there than just mine. You know, I have a style and a look to the things that I make. And, you know, I, I love that you get um, Pumpkin Pulp makes a couple different types of Krampuses now. A lot of companies uh, are making Krampuses now. And, and that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. Is it all that I do? No, I've, I've kind of moved on to Jack Frost masks, and I still make a good number of Krampuses. I'll probably put out 40 or so high-end Krampus masks this year um, for haunted attractions. And But I've also moved on to making snowmen costumes, and I've encouraged another uh, mask maker, and he's making um, the Yule Lads, which are these 12... Uh, angry Christmas characters. There's a whole bunch of winter monsters that we haven't even touched on. And I, I, I can't wait until those kind of burst forth from obscurity the way that Krampus did and compliment. You know, there's a Yule cat. There's the 12 different Yule lads. There's Gryla, who is their mother. There's Schnabelperchten. Um, there's all kinds of figures. There, You know, Pierre Fatard. I mean, that's a Anyway, yes. Yes, I make a lot of Krampuses. Will you be the first to make the Frau Perschta costumes and masks? Um, hmm. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think so. I, I don't know. Um, and it's not, it's not my goal to be first. It's my goal to see that they're made. Right. You know, because haunted houses need to have them. I think that we should have more options than, than just, like you said, evil elves and serial killer Santas and uh, 
and Krampuses. I, I think that those are a great starting point, but you can really delve into this rich history that these, you know, so, so many things are older than the whole United States as a country over in England. You know, finding a three or 400 year old building isn't uncommon. Finding traditions that are that old or older, that's older than the United States. You know, our country hasn't been around that long and they still have lore and traditions and it builds up. And when you get into countries like France and in Italy, um, so many of them have town giants and they have very particular regional winter creatures and monsters um, that it's just it's it's remarkable. And there's a lot that we can delve into and find if we start looking and digging. Do you think that those are. Uh, how do I how do I phrase this? Do you think they're appropriate for the haunt industry? I mean, Krampus is perfect. Big, scary, hairy monster, glowing eyes, carries switches, wants to beat and cause you physical injury, pretty much like clowns with hatchets and chainsaws and things like that. But are are some of these other folkloric figures, you know, too I don't know, too Danish or too French or too Italian? to actually become, you know, something that the haunted house industry in America could incorporate? Uh, I absolutely think that we could. I think that, you know, everybody jokes that the English language, uh, it beats up other languages and rifles through their pockets for loose grammar, and then we steal it. Um, the same is true with, with legends and, and traditions and history. Um, we're we're going to pick and choose the legends that we think are going to work for us, but I think that step one is exposure and learn about what's out there. And then uh, once we know what's out there, then we can uh, figure out what's going to work exactly for us. And what works for one haunted house may not work for another. Well, I can't disagree with that. You know, I, I know about the legend of Frau Perishto, but I think if somebody had that out there, people would just kind of be looking at it going, I don't know really what's going on. But, you well, know, there's, there's also change. there's Schnabelperston and that what they do is they have these big beaks and they look like old women, but they have these giant beaks on them. Um, and they're super creepy and they carry giant scissors. And if you are a rude person, they cut you open, they take out your guts, they fill you with garbage and then they sew you back up. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I can only see the people trying to get insurance for that, (laughs) but, uh, let me ask your opinion on the Krampus movie that came out a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about it just a little bit uh, before we got started here, or a couple of years ago that movie came out. Um, I I loved it. it. It's it's one of my top movies, uh, simply because it has a blend of comedy. It has a blend of comedy and uh, and horror, and it mixes them together well. And it has a supernatural element. I, I tell a lot of folks I don't like horror movies. I like monster movies. So... But it has all of those elements, and I think it's it's fantastic. It has fantastic in the sense that it, it's fantasy-based. The elves in that are beautiful. Uh, they incorporated a lot of very little-known Christmas things and and pretty dark stuff, which I think is it's awesome. Storm, I know you had some opinions about that movie. Sorry, I had to find the mute button. Uh, I, I love the movie. Had had a lot of neat things. The only thing is, it, for me, it just didn't have that one punch because the Krampus was either had or was wearing 
the old man, you know, distorted Santa face. I, I mean, you know, the last couple of scenes, it looked like there's something under it. But I was so excited at the beginning of the movie because they're really hitting on the Black Friday and the people, you know, beating each other up in the malls to buy gifts for each other. Uh, and no one's giving us gifts. They're all keeping TVs for themselves, which is why I think the Krampus is, you know, seen this reemergence because of this undercurrent of of greed and and and, and selfishness with uh, a spirit of uh, Christmas that you know the Krampus has had to come back into existence, and you know the hoofs, the horns, the the bells, and everything through a movie, and just that end us waiting for a big reveal or something. It's just like, eh. And then all the products you have, like if you went into Spirit this year and if you if you wanted uh, Krampus stuff, there's some good things, but a lot of them had that distorted, you know, screaming Santa face. And I'm like, eh. Well, there's, there's some, some stories. Again, lots of different countries and localities have Krampus. And some say that he's one of Com- uh, Santa's buddies. And uh, Santa is punishing him by making him uh, come with him and, and, and work with the bad kids and, and punish the bad kids. And some people say that him and Santa hate each other and that it's Krampus's job is to kill Santa. And the one in the movie, it certainly does look like he's wearing Santa's face, doesn't it? Um, Something like that, or at least pretending to be Santa. Because if you look, you can see there's a set of like these terrible goat eyes behind yeah. this fake eyelid. Um, but to me, the best Nightmare on Elm Street was number one. You barely saw Freddy's face. He stayed in the shadows and he stayed very hidden. And then by number two, he was in bright lights. He was cracking way more one-liners. And it he kind of became a joke and a laughing stock. I'm glad that they didn't do that to Krampus and, you know, have him rip off that mask and say, ta-da. I think that if we get that in a movie down the road, we're going to earn it. You know, I don't think that they should have revealed his face right away. I can see that, but I just have a feeling we ain't going to be seeing a sequel from that group. Yeah, you never know. You never know. We got an Evil Dead sequel. How how much later we got? There's a lot of sequels that happen uh, way down the road. You never know with Hollywood these days. I want to remind everybody, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking about Der Krampus. December 5th is Krampus knocked all over Europe and pretty much taking a foothold in the United States as well, with our very special guest, Alan Hops, and our usual co-host. We're going to take a real short break, and we will be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from Hunstrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. 
And we're back to the Roundtable of Terror with our very special guest, the owner of Stilt Beast Studios, manager of Dark Hour Haunted House, and knowledger of all things Krampus, Mr. Alan Hops down in Texas, our usual hosts. Storm, we were talking about the Krampus movie before we went to break. I know you've seen the movie. I have unfortunately not seen the movie, so I think there were some other things we wanted to talk about that. Oh, yeah, no, but... Love to get uh, Alan's opinion on some of the imagery and the other elements that were brought in with that movie, especially the evil toys, the gingerbread men, the uh, Belschnickels. So the the gingerbread men, uh, they're one of my favorite things because they link to one of my favorite Dark Krampus characters, which is Pierre Fatard. And uh, Pierre Fatard, he's kind of another anti-Santa that travels around with Santa. But that one, in almost every instance... Santa is punishing him. Um, Santa's punishing him by making him punish children. Um, but the way that Pierre Fatard started, he was a serial killer. And he he had just finished killing three, uh, three baker's children. And in order to hide the bodies, he started eating them, and he grinded them up, and he put them in gingerbread cookies and he was doing all of this on christmas eve and santa comes out and said santa comes in and he says three boys live here show me those three boys and he Fertard says no I, I live here there are no children and santa says children stand up and the gingerbread men all stand up that he made and of course, he was, you know, terrified and incensed. Um, but it's it's this child murdering serial killer that Santa says, because you tried to hide these children from me, you tried to hide your crimes from me. You will now travel with me, and you will deal with all the wicked children. And those those gingerbread men that you see are the bad children that Pierre Fertard. Um, turned into gingerbread men by murdering them and grinding them up. I mean, that's, that's dark and crazy. You know, there is, is uh, not a story that's used more that that is, that's freaking insane. But I mean, just, you, you get the heebie jeebies just with Santa, you know, telling children stand up and the gingerbread men come to life. It's that's, that's the story that was told around the uh, around the fire, you know that that's the story that that they told in their homes and stuff. Um, I'm, but- I'm I'm very upset at the world right now because you know how many years growing up did I have to sit through like the Nutcracker for a student trip with the three headed mouse and the things dancing around when I could have had Santa resurrecting gingerbread children. I mean, I'd watch that as a ballet. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, but there's there's a lot of real dark history, uh, real dark history, uh, along with, uh, you know, um, w- w- with Christmas. Um, Pierre Frotard is uh, another name for him is Father Whipper or Old Man Whipper. Isn't that, you know, implying that he beats children? Uh, I, I just think that's that's crazy. And that is a. Uh, that's from France, Belgium, uh, Switzerland. Again, all those places that kind of touch the Alps Mountains. 
they have versions of Pierre Fatard. They they somehow don't uh, tell you this when you uh, listen to Mother Goose and and some of the fairy tales when they when you get bedtime stories. Well, Jesus, you know, these things are morbid. <laughs> we, we we are getting the watered down and commercialized version of all of the you know winter holidays existed pre Christianity. They, they existed before. They've been around, you know. There was always harvest festivals in the fall before what we call Halloween, and all those things mix in together a little bit. There's there's some dark things that mix in, but you don't necessarily know why, or you don't know the backstory. Um, the winter festivals have have always kind of happened. They just they just happened differently before, and they were winter to a medieval peasant. That's a scary thing. You can die just by being outside too long. We don't we don't have a sense of what real fear is anymore. That's why we need haunted houses. We need fabricated fear, and that's why people pay us to scare them because they need that in their lives. Uh, they need to be reminded that there are things out there in the dark that can kill you. In in the winter time when the environment is extreme enough, just being outside too long can kill you. We don't have a sense of that as a society anymore. So we really lost touch with it. As we started to modernize, as we started to industrialize, a lot of that fear of the environment went away. Krampus is a fear of the environment. His his fangs are the teeth of winter. His horns are the horns of the mountains. Where the storms come from, where landslides come from, as, as the Krampus cascade down from the mountains, that's a that's an avalanche. You know, there's so many different nature parallels that they're just not a danger for us anymore. We have moved past Krampus, and now Krampus, just just as Storm said, Krampus now is a symbol of the overcommercialism. That's what we have to be afraid of. That's what we have to get upset over. That's we got ripped off. We got ripped off on things for us to be afraid of. Um, you know, because just our environment is so different. We've made the world so sanitary and safe. We have to have monsters back to remind us that we're alive. Sorry, I tend to get a little uh, preachy about my monsters. Oh, by all means, continue. This is fascinating. Have you ever thought about going to Trans World and talking about, you know, why aren't haunts doing more monster-related things or folklore-related things? There's only a couple of haunts I know in the country that really have, like, fairy tale-related themes as a major part of their haunt. I mean, some of that stuff is just downright terrifying. I, I think that more of that is going to be popping up. Uh, I really do. I think that monsters are kind of coming back. Supernatural is coming back as a as a fun thing, uh, as a as a thing that we need in our lives. Um, it's hard to find a new horror movie that isn't about satanic possession or you know or ghosts at this point in time um, because that's that's what's popular. I think we're going to go back into a supernatural but supernatural creature horror. Um, we we'll always have a fear of the unknown and we we feel like as a society we have uncovered everything there is to uncover about the world we've seen it we we know everything there is to know about the world so 
it's kind of uh, now we're imagining those secret places and what's left in the darkest corners we haven't messed with yet. You know, and, and I think that's gonna those stories and bringing those creatures out into the light, I think is going to be a real fun part. And I think that because everything going on in the world right now with COVID and with, with there's, there's a virus out there that can kill us. The world got dangerous again. And that's kind of wonderful um, in, in the sense that, you know, once again, if you go outside and you breathe near the wrong people, you could die. Um, that that's a powerful thing. And I think that might send us into a second, uh, a second fantasy wave where um, people are going to be reaching more towards fantasy because the real world sucks. I'm trying to ponder that. And you're like, absolutely true. You know, the mere act of breathing can literally kill you now. So I'm, I'm curious when the next scary virus movies start coming out and, and, and what lengths they'll go to. My goodness. Well, it, it kind of occurred to me. Did you, did you see the M night Shalamayan, uh, Shalamayan, ding dong, whatever his name is. Uh, at M. Night Shyamalan, um, The Happening. Yeah, yes. Uh, there's parallels to The Happening and uh, coronavirus a little bit. So, you know... It, um, it, I, I don't know. I, I had some celery with Thanksgiving dinner. It didn't try to kill me. Well, this, that celery was already dead. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It could have killed you when you were shopping for it. Indirectly, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's the world's a scary place right now, and I. But I just think that fantasy is going to be something that we reach to in order to make horror comfortable for us again. And I have no doubt that Dark Hour will probably be one of the forerunners of that. Um, Maybe. We've we've always been pretty heavy fantasy based. Uh, I, I love monsters. Uh, when we when we do our um, we do a, a St. Patrick's show at Dark Hour, and that is very much based in fairy tales. I mean, one of the main creatures that you encounter are Fomorian giants, and Fomorians were the first people of Ireland that, that were driven out. And uh, legend says that they were these these race of deformed giants. And I just think that's so cool, you know. Indeed. See, I, I've, I've had experience, too. Uh, you know, doing the fantasy and stuff, it, sometimes it's very difficult as a haunt. I remember the year we tried to do it as a theme on our walkthrough. And we planned it out good, and we had these really neat scenes, and and we had like you know the Little Mermaid up in a net, and things like this and that. And the first weekend we ran it, you know, people are like, "Yeah, the walkthrough wasn't scary," and we realized that we had some really neat scenes and some cool concepts, but we dropped the ball on making it horror and scary. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until we, we reworked it and we're like, all right, well, all right, take out this Snow White scene that we made too theatrical and put in Cinderella with the glass slipper sticking out of her head. We, we had the, you know, we, we completely missed the ball on it 
with the fantasy thing and got wrapped up in that and forgot, oh, yeah, we need to do scary horror with it, too. Uh, that That's not the fault of fantasy. That's your fault. I hate to say that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One, that's absolutely. But that's what of, I'm saying. It, it's a pitfall thing. You know, uh, some haunts, you know, I, 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 I see, you know, fantasy as sometimes maybe too much of a challenge or something too far out out of the way you know uh like you don't see too many western haunts because you can get it very wrong if you don't get a good vision for it right away uh i agree and they they have to be done well and they have to be fairly believable meaning that you have to have a solid foundation for your fantasy or for your time shift or whatever it is uh you have to kind of establish some rules and follow those rules um, and those are important. But, but I think also the point you've been making is it's an inspiration thing. You know, we, being exposed to some of these stories, the actual lore that uh, a lot of these monsters and things have come from, and not just, you know, the movie representation or the Hollywood representation of these monsters. You have that type of inspiration with it, and it makes a great horror concept, a great haunt concept. Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Um, and it, it, as long as you keep it fringely related to things that they are aware of and they do know, I, I think it works out. Yeah, it, it, it's weird, too. Like, you know, uh, another example is like the Gill Man. You don't see too many creature uh, haunts, but you'll see Lovecraft things. And if they take the deep old ones... And, and play with that concept, you get pretty much the same character, but better and more for a haunt. Uh, well, it's also cheaper to produce. You know, um, we do we do very Lovecraftian um, marrow type monsters uh, or, you know, deep ones or whatever you want to call them. And we put them in slicker raincoats and then the cool fish masks. And, exactly. you know, then you need hands. You need the yellow raincoat. And but it's a good look. It's a very Lovecraftian. It's a very in's mouth look, but to do a full Gilman suit, you know, all that a haunt owner can think of is, is what does that guy do when he's got to pee? You know, how much is that? <laughs> suit, how much is that suit going to cost me? You know, um, yeah, how much is it going to cost a dry clean every week? Yeah, I mean, you you have those concerns, so that is, you know, that's one of the reasons why you don't necessarily see that. And but I think it, it's taking those type of characters and turning them into something that you can reasonably do. How hard is it to pee in one of your Krampus costumes that you build? Um, it's easy to pee in anything that, that a person would wear. One of the things that, that I think good costumers do is they think, you know, it, it's not necessarily a costume, it's just clothes for monsters. Ah, uh, Okay. And once once you do that, then, you know, everything that you kind of have to do, um, you, you got to be able to take care of. Sure. I mean, I've seen your full body and your stilt costumes and, and things like that. And, you know, sometimes when I'm watching you walk around the show floor at Transworld or I've seen videos of you in various costumes, I'm like, what does he have to do if he has to take a break? I mean, how complicated is it to get in and out of that? Wow. Uh First of all, uh, breaks are for slackers. Uh, second of all, um, you, you, you have to make the costumes so that they're they're usable. Uh, whatever you're going to put somebody in, it has to be 
um, kind of actor friendly. A lot of the stuff that you see in movies, they're going to be in that for a couple hours, but they can take frequent breaks and they can shoot it from a certain angle. Um, and you can't do that in a haunted house. It has to happen, you know, the whole time. So, yeah. Makes perfect sense to me. Not being one that wears, you know, full body costumes. I'd never really thought about it until until you had said that about the Gill Man. So never, never make a costume that you can't sit down in. And one of one of the huge benefits of cosplay culture and how that has come up in the world is that more people are accustomed to costumes and they're okay with with crazier costumes. The downside is they often have in their mind a con costume and it's more, they're only in character when they're in front of camera and you have to get them in character whenever they're working. Uh, And so that's a bit of a mental shift for them, but also the fact that, you know, when they take breaks, they do it very differently and haunted houses. we, We have to work it in such a way you have to be able to sit down in the costume you have to be able to get your own bottle of water and take a drink. You have th- These are things that – I have a little checklist. Will it fit through a door? That's part of the checklist. And if it doesn't fit through the door, I have to tell people that. There's some of the crompuses that I make. You can't go through a door easy because you have to kind of duck down and go sideways because the horns are too big. The snowman costumes that I make, um, you kind of have a waddling movement. They, they are a stand-there costume and – uh, you moving around through the show is going to be difficult. You're a one-shot wonder. Hmm. That is, uh, you know, for all those out there looking at some of the costumes at Transworld and particularly interested in buying them, take that into consideration. Again, I don't wear full-body costumes, so never really thought about it. Interesting. Jim, how about you? When you had a mall out there, did you have anybody in a costume like that or... Anybody had interest in stuff? I mean, I've seen your Dean, and I've seen your couple of your other characters. Do you ever have issues with uh, full-body costuming and things like that? Absolutely, and it was with me. <laughs> uh, it was my Bigfoot costume. Oh, my gosh, was that thing horrible. Um, I could barely see out of it. It was hotter than sin. And it weighed about 40 pounds. So, yeah, I, I had some issues with a full-body costume. How about the year at MHC when you went as the robot monster? Oh, that was just fun. Because he was an obscure uh, monster that, you know, the casual haunter doesn't really know about. But uh, I've still got the whole costume in my basement. Oh, that's great. Yep. Love Robot Monster. Terrible movie. Great character. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Any other questions from our host to Mr. Hobbs? I'm sitting here trying to come up with one, and I'm like, uh, how about... Yeah, he answered that. No, he answered that one. (laughs) I'm I'm chatty. Monsters. And caffeinated. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, with being familiar with you know the Krampus, with festivities, haunts in themselves, how can haunts do a better Christmas event? Do a better Krampus walk? You know, or is 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 there 
like a checklist or something that they should be doing for those so that they don't miss the mark with these, you know, short opportunity, one weekend type of things that uh, we're trying to make popular and spread across the country. Right now, you're asking me my opinion on art. So keep in mind, one of the things that I hold true in my heart as a tenant of haunted houses is that a good haunted house is the reflection of its owner or designer. Um, I don't want all haunts to be the same. So take the advice that I'm giving with a grain of salt, knowing that um, they shouldn't necessarily all be the same. But um, I would. it would be awesome to me if more Krampus walks looked at traditional Krampus walks, because there's way more characters than just Krampus. And including some of those other characters, including uh, things like Schnabelperchten and Hans Tropp. And every, every Krampus parade uh, in Europe, it ends with Santa. Santa comes in behind the Krampuses and sues the children. And you don't see that a lot in the, in the Krampus walks that we do over here. The, all the Krampuses uh, sweep through and it's terrible. But then here comes Santa showing you that Christmas is coming. And Krampus has beaten the bad out of all the kids. And only the good kids see Santa. You know, and only kids who are deserving see Santa. And um, I think there's something special to that. So, you know, that, that's a cool thing. Uh, end with a nice, strong Santa. That that's very a very cool ending. Um, do a little bit of homework. Do a little bit of research. Uh, I don't like the the concept of just cashing in on this stuff, but you know, consult with somebody. Look up a few old Christmas legends in a, in a book. Um, you know, look up look up some old stuff. Do some pecking around on the internet. Uh, there's some really cool stuff with even like Old Man Winter and, and some just some scary things that you can do. Bring in some Wendigos. Do a little bit of research and bring in some of these other creatures that can make your haunted house way more interesting, in my opinion. As far as a Krampus walk is concerned, I know you've been involved with the one down in Dallas, and I know that there are Krampus walks in like Portland and, and other areas of the country. There's one in Charlotte that's not very, very big, but is growing every year. In your opinion, do you feel the purpose of a Krampus walk is more for entertainment, or should it be more for informing people about what Krampus and some of these old winter folklore legends are? You're still going to end up doing both, um, and and it should be both. You sh it should be for entertainment. If it's not entertaining, then you can't shove any amount of education down someone's throat. Um, but th there is this whole world out there where if they're interested in it, that they could check out and learn a few things for themselves. But in all honesty, it's just a, t a lot of fun Uh to go to a Krampus walk or to be in a Krampus walk. It's a lot of fun. You know, Alan, I've got to say something. You, you, you brought up a, uh, a mythical character, which, uh, caught my ear and, and it piqued my interest. Uh, uh, of course the Wendigo. Um, and the reason I say that is because for about five years now, I've had a completely designed Wendigo haunt in my notebook. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think Wendigo is super underutilized. Um, and the nature of a Wendigo, a lot of people may not know, it's, it is an evil spirit that possesses you. It is an evil winter spirit that possesses you when you stoop to the lowest act of eating another person. Right. It is a monster that can only possess you if you have cannibalized someone else. So, I mean, how can you not do a whole zombie-esque haunted house kind of about that? Because once you're possessed by the Wendigo spirit, you want to eat more and more people. There are, are several serial killers up north who, um, up far north, who a lot of people say they were possessed by a Wendigo. No, I, I agree with you. You know, I've, I've done some research on it myself and... Uh, I, I find the whole thing fascinating, and, and the funny thing is, is when I, the first time I find out about it was through Marvel Comics. Yes, one of my favorite Marvel characters is is the Wendigo. He used to fight the Incredible Hulk all the time, and he fought Wolverine a bunch. Yes, yes, uh, and that's what really got me interested in it. And uh, you know, I just took it from there and did some more research and found out more about what the Wendigo actually was. So I, I find it a fascinating character that. Um, one of these days, maybe my design will come to life. Yeah, um, it's it is a character that you could base a whole haunted house around for sure, especially something like a haunted trail that's out in the woods. I think that you there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do with it. I think cannibalism is a remarkable maker of tales. Um, I, I think when you get hardcore cannibalism that happens, I, I think that there are all these stories of evil and possession that show up around it. I mean, how many, how many horror movies have been kind of based off the Donner party, you know, um, that, that that's one incident that happened and it's, it's a, it's a joke reference all the time now. You know what I mean? It's just such a small incident but it's still heavily referenced. I find that fascinating. It, it, have you ever heard of Sawney Bean? I can't say that I have. Is that Saw what the Hills Have Eyes was based off of? Yes. That is a Scottish cannibal story, okay. um, which, again, fascinating. And, you know, then, unfortunately, we have lost access to a lot of the Native American stories and information um, about creatures and, and such. Um, and that's where Wendigo is. It, it's, it's a North American uh, Native Inuit people creature. Um, and we just don't have as much information about that as I wish we did. I mean, there's there's all kinds of cool stuff when you look at lore and mythology, and I think if you are a haunted house that's up north, and you might you know even in the northern United States, if you want to do a trail haunted house, those things are worth looking into. Oh, I agree, absolutely. So, Alan, where do you think the Krampus will be going in the next decade or so? Do you think it's just going to become a permanent part of Christmas lore? Do you think that, you know, haunts are pretty much 
resigned to the fact that they're going to have to do a Krampus in their Christmas themed haunt? Do you think it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Do you think it's going to peak at some point and maybe kind of fade away a little bit? You know, zombies were big for a while. Now they're kind of going down. Witches were big for a while. Now they're kind of going down, you know, other Fair. kind of creatures and things. They kind of cycle in and out. Do you think Krampus will be a cycle or do you think it'll it'll just become entrenched in, in the Christmas season? I think that Krampuses are here to stay. I think they're going to further entrench their position. I think that as haunted houses want to put, you know, open up more throughout the year and have a bigger foothold um, and expand their customer base, I think that expanding into the the Christmas holiday, uh, we've done off season shows now for seven years, and the Wreck the Halls December show has been the busiest by far, hands down. Um, First of all, it comes right on the heels of Halloween. And the magic of October is that people know that they're going to, that they're going to go to a haunted house and you just have to make them go to yours, convince them to come to yours. When we started doing the Christmas show, we had to convince them that it's okay to do a haunted house during holiday time. It's okay to do a haunted house in December. It's just an alternative form of entertainment. And the wonderful thing now is that people are expecting haunted houses to be open for the holidays. It's common now. We expect it. And we're back to all we have to do is convince them to come to ours. You know, we're not there yet with St. Patrick's Day. We're not there yet, even with Valentine's Day. Um, The upside of Valentine's Day is that you have to go out. You have to go on a date. That's the law. You have to go on a date on Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter what you do, but people say you have to do it. And then you get the magical weekend every seven years of Friday the 13th and then Valentine's Day on Saturday the 14th. And um, if you're in your haunted house, you're not opening up for that. I think you're crazy. Um, but off-season events are just getting bigger. And I think that Krampus is a firmly rooted Christmas holiday character, winter character. Krampus Noct is technically December 5th. It's early in December. So, you know, he, he's not close enough to December to step on Christmas. You know what I mean? He's, he's not a, you know, this is against Jesus. It, it's not, it's, it's just not one of those things. This is, Krampus is older than Jesus. You know, he's been around a long time. Can't argue with that. And again, like you said, he has become firmly entrenched. You know, I'm, I'm seeing holiday events called Merry Krampus or Krampus Terror as their whole theme. And, and it's, you know, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. Can't, it's can't it's a toehold. It's a toehold. It is Krampus is the beginning of of these winter creatures that are going to seep into um, our culture. Um, the, the culture of the United States is only, you know, 200 and some years old. We're, we're not that old of a country. So it, it takes a while for our, our cultural awareness to kind of pick our ears up and say, well, okay, uh, here we are now in, in America. Um, we don't really have a lot of our own culture and stuff. Uh, what can we rob? 
and then we will. And we're slowly robbing things from other older cultures uh, to make our own. It, it's what we do. Some people call it cultural appropriation. And I think uh, that can be dangerous. But I also think that there's a lot of homages and just acknowledgments of, wow, that's a really cool thing. You know? Now, Alan, do you think that, I mean, with a lot of haunts jumping on board with Krampus, that they're actually utilizing the character for what it's supposed to be or just using it? Or do you think some haunts are just putting it in because, well, that, well, we got to have a Krampus? Um, a Krampus is supposed to scare kids. So I think they're using it right. Uh, and I'm just so happy to see Krampus out in the world that I'm not going to tell anybody they're doing it wrong right now. I'm going to give them 10 years or so and let's see what they do. Um, because it's, it's still, it's new, you know, it's new. A, a lot of folks had no idea what Krampus is. Um, we did an event last year where we took Krampuses to a Christmas tree lighting ceremony for, for the town of, of Plano. And the amount of people that we, um, that we engaged who knew Krampus already was massive. And they were thrilled to have us there. Uh, it was a real turning point where I've, it's been an uphill battle for me taking Krampuses to events that didn't want him, <laughs> um, that, that you know, didn't want a Krampus there. But as our society gets a little less strict, uh, we get a little bit, you know, the, I hate to say this, the, the, the Cold War era is behind us, the... The McCarthyism finger pointing is behind us. But there's a lot of folks out there who remember those times and those lessons carry home and they affect them seeing new things and how they feel about those things. Well, now we have a very inclusive culture who is coming to the forefront. People in their in their 40s and stuff, they were they're a little freer and looser. They don't remember those negative things. And uh, I think that we're going to just see a bigger acceptance. And I think that we're going to see haunt characters. Do I think they're using Krampus wrong? No. I'm just happy that they're using Krampus. And I think that it's going to be more and more accepted as time goes by. Because of exposure. Very true. Uh, looking at the clock here, we probably should start winding this down, although I know we could probably talk for another hour or two. Um, any final questions from the hosts? Uh, that probably means no. So no, It usually uh, means we can't find our mute buttons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you have, Storm? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, please, we could... We could talk, you know, monsters, mythology, Krampuses, chupacabras with uh, Alan all day. It, 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 Alan, you got any chupacabra stuff? You, you building any? And I, I always hope the chupacabra is going to be the next big thing. Give me some hope here. Uh, I don't see chupacabra being the next big thing. I've made uh, some chupacabra costumes, um, and chupacabra is often included in. Um, creepypasta stories and i think that creepypasta is going to have another it had like a subculture you know beginning and then it sort of died off but i think that there's a creepypasta resurgence is going to happen 
And it's possible that your Chupacabra could be carried on the coattails of that, along with Slender Man and the Rake and Owl Man and all kinds of other fun smile dog creatures and whatnot. There we go. That, that works. It just just shows, you know, I'll, I'll have to try and tie together my Amish Arbor Day Chupacabra haunt, you know, and just try and make all three things big at once. With mariachi models and soundtrack. <laughs> Well, this is the part of the show that we normally call the plugs. So, Alan, I know you have many, many irons in the fire for people wanting information on Dark Hour, Haunted House, Stilt Beast Studios, some of the classes that you teach during the course of the year, um, any other things you have going on that you think people should know about, your YouTube channels, your social medias, your websites. How can people find out more about Alan Hops? I am the director of Dark Hour Haunted House. Uh, their website is darkhourhauntedhouse.com. A lot of my crazy ideas we get to do there, so that's a lot of fun. Um, stiltbestudios.com is my website where I sell masks, costumes, and uh, a lot of training DVDs and stuff for the haunted attraction industry. I have a YouTube channel called Stilt Beast Studios, like a beast on stilts, Stilt Beast Studios. Um, I'm actually about to launch a Patreon that kind of supports my, uh, my YouTube channel, uh, because when, when COVID kicked in, I sort of doubled down on making content for YouTube. So YouTube is going crazy. So I should have a Patreon up soon. Um, and lots of live videos and lots of training and DIY stuff for haunts and lots of Christmas themed things on YouTube for me. This month, every YouTube Wednesday is going to be a holiday themed one coming up. Very nice. Are there any plans for Dark Hour in the immediate future to put on a weekend event or two weekends? I know Christmas is not on this year. I know COVID's going on, but are you still optimistic that there may be a Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day or spring break or Valpurgis Noct or any of the other myriad shows you put on during the year for 2021? Uh I'm actually not optimistic about that. I am, we are refocusing our sites on October, 2021. I think that that is for Texas and the way Texas is kind of turning out virus wise. I think that's a responsible thing for us to do. Um, I also think that it allows us to um, really focus on, on a show and not get beat up over, well, this has to come down in a month and we only have a month to put up this show because we just finished that one, you know? Um, so it, it's going to be a slower pace. Like a lot of companies where we're, we had to slim down our crew a little bit and uh, we're refocusing on that October show to make it the most magical and fantastic that we possibly can. Uh, um, I don't think this we're haunted houses can be a super spreader if they're not done right. We are not built in such a way to keep six feet apart and we need a big rebuild because I think that's going to persist in the future. And we have to do a lot of changing of sets uh, just to make sure that everything is going to be copacetic in the future. There you go. And having done a behind the scenes tour of dark hour at the Texas haunt convention that was on a few years ago, you, you have an amazing set and an amazing 
staff down there building that stuff, but I can totally see where you can't really social distance in a lot of your haunt. No, it, it's haunted houses are kind of meant to keep tight, and uh, we did it as much as we could being ADA compliant, and um, the virus is, is taking that into a, a... We have to change a lot of things in order to be as socially responsible as we need to be. Absolutely, as hopefully most haunts will for this year and beyond. But anyway... Again, we'd like to thank Alan Hops for being our guest tonight. It has been a fascinating talk about Krampus and many other creatures, a lot of them I'd never heard of, and I'm just like, holy crap, I am not reading those stories to my kids, but <laughs> Jesus. Um, again, we could not do this show without our great hosts either, including Storm. Yeah, I'm just getting a picture of you around the fire, you know, telling your children and, you know, one day grandchildren about these stories and then, you know, scaring the living bejesus out of them. That's fantastic. But in the meantime, I want to remind all the listeners, Santa Claus is a cryptid. Think about it. Yeah. It makes perfect sense now. Holy cow. (gasps) We also want to thank Meat Hook Jim. Um, I don't know what to say. It's been a good show. Meet Hook Jim. Wherever he is. <laughs> Fumbling for the pog, for the uh, mute button. Uh-oh. He probably went to the bathroom. We'll come He's back to him. He's digging out and... the ape costume and the fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll also thank Jerry Vane in the meantime. There he is. He's back. Oh, I'm wait. back. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Meat Hook Jim. Um, yay. I'm back. <laughs> Again, we also want to thank Jerry Vane, the Hauntstrumentalist. Everybody's using Patreon, GoFundMe. I'm going to use the placebo effect. There you go. My name is Drew Badger, going from the Outer Banks this weekend to 20 degrees tonight, chance of snow. Yay, raw. Here comes the winter crud. This is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. Change your t-shirt. Oh, God, yes. I'm not getting bronchitis like that last time. He's still wearing it from last year. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. That shouldn't have been happening. COVID! to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Grandpa Sam, I love the Christmas spirits. Evil am I? Stone Shaw, Krampus, on the Big Scary Show.
This is Alfred Hitchcock. I have just succumbed to the craze for wide and splashy ties. I use them in my latest film, Frenzy, as a murder weapon used to strangle women. It's such an elegant way to go. My God, the tie! <laughs> Frenzy is rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And on this episode of Between the Corpses, we're diving right into the middle of Krampus land. We are, of course, going to the country of Switzerland. Throughout Europe, funeral customs differ from country to country, and Switzerland is no different to this. Standing out is one of the countries with a high rate of cremation, about 80%. Because of an increase in migration in Switzerland, the large influx of people from other countries has also seen a change in religious beliefs. According to the Federal Statistics Office, 38.8% of the Swiss population declared themselves as Roman Catholics in the 2010 census, 30.9% as Protestant, 4.5% as Muslim, and 0.2% as Jewish. Around 20.1% of the population declared to have no religious affiliation. This has contributed to the increase in cremations with Hindus allowed to scatter ashes into the River Rus in Lucerne. Other cities, such as Bern and Zurich, also allow this practice. Before authorizing Hindus, of whom there are estimated 40,000 in Switzerland, to scatter ashes of their loved ones in the river, the local authority consulted the Catholic and Protestant churches who agreed to allow the practice. The Environment and Energy Office confirmed the practice did not pose a danger to the water quality, but fixed a limit of 20 funeral rites per year. The city estimates between five to ten such funeral rites take place every year. Rather than spreading the ashes in a river, some people keep them at home, or choose somewhere private to scatter them, or bury them in the ground, as long as it is not on the private property of another person. Some people rent a tree for an undefined period, under which people bury the urns containing the ashes of their loved ones. In Zurich, one of the first cities to instigate this kind of memorial early this century, Two forests close to cemeteries have communal trees for several urns or family trees rented for 30 years. Candles and plaques are not allowed. Many people in Switzerland also opt for a non-religious funeral ceremony with no pastor or priest. They prefer the service to be led by a friend, while a small minority of people don't want any kind of ceremony at all. The church still plays a major part in most funerals, though many are moving with times and accommodating people's wide-ranging preferences. These include divorcees, people who have turned to other forms of spirituality, or those who have married people of other cultures. When someone dies, those close to them may not consider a Catholic or Protestant ceremony to be an appropriate farewell. As such, churches are renewing their language and the manner of conducting the services, while continuing to draw on Christian history and tradition. Modern celebrants are also being used in funeral services, and they call on families 
and friends to contribute to and create their own funeral ceremonies. Though cremations do cover the majority of funerals in Switzerland today, some families do still opt for burial, and the many picturesque cemeteries, which are often filled with alpine flowers dotted around the country, are a testament to this. Well, there you go. Nothing about Krampus, though. I guess we'll have to fix that. We'll catch you on the next episode. Passion is what drives us. The passion to be the best. For over 10 years, that passion has taken us from eBay to becoming the driving force in the haunted house industry. And we are just getting started. From flex props to nine-foot giants. Great details, great looks, and great pricing is the foundation we are built on. Our heart beats Halloween and haunts. We are Creepy Collection. Let us deliver our passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com Now that's creepy. Frighteners, welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. Here we are in early December. Can you imagine that? Yeah, real cute. Just a brief apology for not being present during the month of November in post-Halloween activities, but as has been noted on the Big Scary Show website, I have had my hands full with quite a few different activities, plus was also my wife and my 19th wedding anniversary. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is greatly appreciated. This brings us to the first weekend of December, and we are full up on Christmas season. Please use caution and consideration when you're attending your Christmas shopping. Be careful out there. It's a dangerous time, and I don't have to say that twice. Regardless of all of that, this time on the Vista, I'm going to do a little bit of something off the beaten path yet again. I'm going to play Record Reviewer. Tough luck. Live with it. Actually, to be quite frank, this one is going to be a look back at a lot of albums by some big-name artists that deserve a second listen that kind of got lost in the crossfire. I'm calling this, basically, my top ten, give or take a handful extra, of albums you should go back and check out once more. Do you know what you're full of? All right, how about Forgotten Gems? Would that make everybody happy? Yeah! 
these basically are going to be good albums that got lost in the shuffle for various reasons, whether they be production values, times changing in terms of musical tastes, or just basically considered at the time kind of black sheeps of their album catalog. I'm also not going to be reviewing anything that is really crap, and I can name quite a few. For example, things like uh, Virtual Eleven by Iron Maiden, Led Zeppelin's Presence, I'm going to get shot for saying that. It's going to get ugly. Not to mention Music from the Elder by Kiss. <laughs> but these albums have become more revered as time has gone by, and without further ado, let's jump over to 1995. <laughs> Okay, for starters, legendary guitarist Richie Blackmore, whose career I will be taking a much in-depth look at in the new year, is notoriously one of the biggest jerks in the music business. In late 93, after an aborted attempt to try and reunite the classic Mark II version of Deep Purple with Ian Gillen on vocals, and the album Battle Rages On, which bombed, and they tried to tour Europe, and all Gillen and Blackmore did was squabble, 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 Blackmore finally tore up his visa and split on the eve of a Japanese tour at the tail end of November 1993. Exit Richie from the story of Purple, and he attempts once again to resurrect his band Rainbow, which this is in 95. Grunge and alternative were in full effect, and needless to say, he didn't get the reaction he wanted, which is a truly a shame because this album, titled Stranger Nazal, is a fine amalgamation of the more classically Renaissance visions that Ronnie James Dio, when he was in the band, used to spin, and the more hard rock poppy leanings that Graham Bonnet and later Jolyn Turner would do. On vocals for this record is one Scotsman named Doogie White, who is a nice amalgamation of Dio's rougher stuff and the poppier, smoother things that Joel and Turner used to do. This is an interesting record, and it's really, really well done. I mean, Blackmore is in full bloom here, unrestrained, and it doesn't harken back so much to the Joel and Turner records, although there is plenty of poppy sensibility, as I said before. But at the same time, you definitely get visions of the Dio rainbow with all its gothic castles, rainbows, and what have you not. Ha ha ha. And while you won't get visions of Stargazer, Gates of Babylon, or Man of the Silver Mountain revisited, sorry, those days are long gone, this is a much harder-edged record than anything Blackmore ever did with Turner and Bonnet, for that matter. Even though Bonnet's album Down to Earth back in 1979 could fit in the neglected category, people have been playing Since You've Been Gone and All Night Long for years, so I don't think people have forgotten that record at all. Check out tunes like Wolf to the Moon, Cold Hearted Woman, Hall of the Mountain King, Black Masquerade, and Ariel, which features the first recorded performance of one Candace Knight, who would end up being Blackmore's partner, wife, and co-founder of Blackmore's Night in a few years, but that's a story for another day. This is a good, hard rock record with poppy sensibilities that actually holds up much better now than it did at the time, especially in light of Rainbow being resurrected by Blackmore once again for the past few years, um, this year notwithstanding. Blackmore took his resurrected Rainbow out on the European hard rock concert festival tours with young man of Spanish origins named Ronnie Romero on vocals, who does a fine job handling Dio, Bonnet, Jolyn Turner, not to mention Ian Gillen and David Coverdale's vocals. Richie is peppering in a lot of Deep Purple classics every year. 
And as it stands, we have one piece of new music from it. They put out a single last year. I haven't heard it yet, so I can't comment. Although Romero's live performances are top-notch, I give credit where credit is due. If Stranger in Us All is to be the last Rainbow record, it's a pretty good note to go out on. I highly recommend it if you're a fan of both Dio and Turner and Bonnet's eras, for that matter. There's a little bit there to satisfy everybody. And on to 1996. ZZ Top's experimental 1996 release, Rhythmeen, a look into barroom blues like none other, yielded no major hits, although it had some very interesting compositions on it. Well, it had a minor hit, if you count the tune from Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney's From Dust Till Dawn, a song called She's Just Killing Me, but this is the kind of album it's hard to explain. I used to work in the restaurant industry, and some of the songs here, you play this record after you've gotten off a long shift at work, you've had a few drinks too many, and you're arguing with your best friend on the line with you about AstroTurf at 2 or 3 in the morning. You get the picture. Yeah, why not? Guitarist Billy Gibbons put this as ZZ's final foray into low bass end frequency purist blues with modernistic touches whatever that's supposed to mean but i do get it there's some interesting pieces on here check out the title track bang bang and things like loaded and pretty head not to mention a song called vincent price blues well believe me when you're drunk at two or three in the morning you'll get it and you'll finally figure out what i am talking about i actually enjoy this record quite a bit especially when i'm sober ha 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 smart snappy, experimental, and good for daydreaming. It is definitely a blues purist record when you take away all the technological pips and pops. And there's a few, not as big as Eliminator, but there's enough in there. And how can you not love a record with a song that goes, Vincent Price says it's alright. You get it. Anyway, on to 1997. I did an overview retrospective of Judas Priest's career a couple of years ago on this show, so I won't bore you with the details on that. Released in late October of 97, Jugulator was the first of the two Ripper Owens Priest albums, and while it came with a wave of goodwill, it quickly evaporated. The big thing about this was Priest's nucleus has always been K.K. Downing, Glenn Tipton and Rob Halford in the writing camps. You put one or the other in control, minus the other two, and it just doesn't work, as is evidenced by this record and Demolition, which came out in 2001. Regardless of that, though, this album is well worth a listen. Owens is in fantastic form, and Priest crafted a record far more savage than 1990's Painkiller, with some truly brutal and magnificent tracks like Bullet Train, Burn in Hell, Death Roll, and the amazing Cathedral Spires. Interestingly enough, after Halford rejoined Priest, he hasn't touched any of these songs. In the case of Demolition, I get why. But as a whole, Jugulator is probably the most brutal and one of the most remarkable CDs Priest ever released, showcasing Ripper Owens, a fine replacement for Rob Halford. And by the way, 
Prior to this record, Halford put out two albums under his band named Fight. The first was kind of a Pantera ripoff, and the second, A Small Deadly Space, a bit grungy, and this record buries both of them. Hint, hint, hint. Well worth a second look. And back even further we go to the metal midst of time to 1986. Ah, yes. Ozzy Osbourne's ultimate sin. Ozzy's uh, glam period. Go look at photographs from the time period. (laughs) Embarrassing. It's really funny because this was actually a good-sized hit for Ozzy, the album being The Ultimate Sin, and it had a good-sized hit as well in Shot in the Dark, but I must say, the band that followed it in 1988-89 redid it. This featured Zach Wilde on guitar, Geezer Butler on bass, and Randy Castillo on drums check out the EP Just Say Ozzy for the far superior version. Regardless of all of that, this is actually a very good record. It really showcases what guitarist Jake E. Lee could do as a musician, not to mention the fact there's some very, very good songwriting in here. It's not all pomp and circumstance a la Motley Crue's Theater of Pain. Ozzy hits some pretty good tunes in here like Killer of Giants, Never Secret Loser, even the title song. And while Shot in the Dark was a hit and the remake is a bit more superior, there are stronger cuts on this. It seems to be ignored in Ozzy's live set, save for Shot in the Dark anymore. And even that doesn't get played too often. Which is a real shame. As I said, go back and listen to it. Granted, the productionist Tinny, Jake Ely, complained often that he was not allowed to play with his guitar tones. And some of the songs are forgettable at best. But the bulk of this record kicks it's probably one of ozzy's best and it's unfortunate that he took that glam look i saw this tour in chicago in july of 86 with metallica master of puppets era with cliff burton on bass opening for him and the rumors are true metallica ate him for lunch but i digress check this record out it's actually quite good and we go forward to 1988 Blue Oyster Cult's 1988 magnum opus Imaginos, which actually was Albert Bouchard's solo record initially, was the last word from them for a good 6-7 years after its release, as they were dropped from Columbia after the album's failure, which is truly a tragedy. This is the material the band had been working on since their inception around 1972 with the involvement of manager Sandy Perlman and several other noted science fiction authors, an all-encompassing gothic opera, if you will, with a lot of sci-fi overtones and some historical anecdotes as well. It's smart, it's snappy, and it kicks harder than anything BOC had done in many years, including the prior album Club Ninja. Ouch, 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 don't even get me started. But this record was endorsed by none other than Metallica's James Hetfield for a long time, and alas, it did nothing. This is well worth listening. This is BOC playing heavy metal as a heavy metal band. Very, very well done. All of the original band is in evidence. Smart, snappy, well produced, and even has a little guest spot from Joe Satriani. Go listen to this at once. The Colsters are on an upward swing right now with the release of their most recent album, The Symbol Remains, and this is a nice companion piece to it. Go listen to it immediately, and we're staying in 1988 just for the record. 
Scorpion Savage Amusement, released in 1988 as well, a very sophisticated and overproduced but well-written hard rock record, which didn't do the man a heck of a lot of favors. There were no major hits off of this, primarily because their longtime producer, Dieter Deeks, had basically taken the reins of control artistically and production-wise and basically squeezed all the life out of these songs, which is truly a shame, as this is one of the most sophisticated, as I mentioned, Scorpion's records. It plays well, but like I said, very, very flat. The songs come off much better live. Another thing was they waited four years between this record and Love at First Thing back in 84 to release a new record, and time had kind of passed them by a little bit, and they lost quite a bit of footing as well. Again, this is not the best thing they've ever done, but it doesn't need to be as overlooked as they have been doing. Rhythm of Love gets played in their live set from time to time, but overall this record is ignored, and it's really a shame as some standout tracks like Media Overkill, We Let It Rock, You Let It Roll, the aforementioned Rhythm of Love and Love on the Run, and the token ballad Believe in Love, which got some airplay, but it kind of faded into obscurity quick. Well worth another listen. As I said, very sophisticated, well-produced, but if you can get past some of the life being squeezed out of the production, it's a very worthwhile record. And on we go to 1994. Fresh off his second and rather bitter and acrimonious split with Black Sabbath, Ronnie James Dio rebounded like nobody's business in either late 93 in England or early 94 here in the States with the Strange Highways album, a brutal, nasty, almost industrial-sounding record that has some of the best songwriting Ronnie had done in a long, long time. This is what Sabbath probably would have turned into had Ronnie stayed in the ranks after Dehumanizer in 92. But I digress. This got overlooked big time. Grunge was in full swing, and the record company didn't back him up at all, and he was playing small clubs all over the states. He tried to fill arenas, and alas, it didn't work. I saw the show twice, and this is also where I met the man, and he was as gracious as his legend says. This record, however, there's not a stinker in the set, and I still don't understand why this wasn't embraced more by the heavy metal public. Sure, Alice in Change wasn't big, and so was Pantera, but this thing kicked it. Like I said, from front to back, this is really a nice piece of work. Go check it out, Dio fans. He's in fine form, and the band is furious. Well worth listening to. And now for our last two selections on this. First off, we're going back to 1983. <laughs> ACDC's 1983 release, Flick of the Switch, kind of the black sheep of their catalog, and that along with 1985's Fly on the Wall, but that's a different story altogether. It was very unusual to hear such a dry, raw record coming from the band after their successful trio of albums with producer Robert John Mutt Lang, who was relieved of his producer duties by Malcolm Young, feeling the band was getting too polished, happened to be producing... Def Leppard's Pyromania about the same time ACDC were recording this record. 
funny how time changes things, isn't it? And it's really amusing to me because Pyromania sounds to me much more like a poppier ACDC album anyway. But hey, kudos to Def Leppard. Still, Flick of the Switch should not be ignored. This is really a well-done raw record recalling albums like Let There Be Rock and Power Ridge. Granted, not everything on this album is fantastic, but the guts of the record, Badlands, Guns for Hire, Brain Shake, the title track, play this album back-to-back with 1978's Power Ridge and you'll get what I'm talking about. An underrated masterpiece, if you ask my opinion. mid-80s were a very difficult time for Black Sabbath, and I'm going to highlight three albums that kind of were neglected, not to mention just downright ignored, and really have a wealth of material to offer, starting with 1983's Born Again, another one of the Black Sheep albums, this one in Sabbath's catalog, which featured the vocals of none other than Deep Purple's Eden Gillen. A lot of people called it a mismatch, something I would kind of agree with nowadays, but the material speaks for itself. Zero the Hero, Disturbing the Priest, the title track, Hotline, very good stuff. With a hint of purple sound and influence in the album, I will admit, but the trio of Tony Iommi, Bill Ward, and Geezer Butler hold it all together. Yeah, the production is kind of shoddy, but the material speaks for itself. Go and take a listen. Black Sheep or not, this thing still cooks. Flash forward three years later, and Tony Iommi tries to release a solo album, and it ends up going under the moniker Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Still, 1986's Seven Star is a huge departure for what Tony could do, showing his blues and soul roots. Yeah, there's some pretty heavy stuff on here. Take note of the title track and Danger Zone just for an example. But it definitely expanded his repertoire, and notorious troublemaker vocalist Glenn Hughes, who has since cleaned up since those Halicon days, does a fine performance on this record. You're doing yourself a disservice if you disregard this record in particular. It really shows what Tony could do as a writer and guitarist. Well worth your time investment. And finally, late 1987 saw the release of The Eternal Idol, a return to form for Tony, back to his heavy roots, and this, had it Dio sung on it, would have been a worthy successor to Mob Rules or Live Evil. Take your pick. Needless to say, though, this thing just faded in obscurity. By this point, Sabbath were considered old hat, and Ozzy ruled the roost. And it's really a shame. This is truly a flawless record. Not only does it introduce vocalist Tony Martin to the world, who stayed for over eight years on and off, it features wonderful material like The Shining, Glory Ride, Born to Lose, the title track, and a whole host of others. This album is fantastic front to back. Go check it out if you haven't heard it before amazing record. Truly one of the best in the Sabbath catalog, if completely neglected. And that about wraps it up for this edition here. Comments, critiques, suggestions? Drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com.
Before I wrap it up, there are two points I want to mention. First of all, my Facebook page under my own name has been hacked by somebody in Vietnam, Iraq, Iran, I don't know where, but they've basically done what has happened to a lot of people, forced me out, I can't get back in, and Facebook won't help me. So for the time being, and really, probably permanently, I am not going to be on Facebook ever again, but I will eventually be relaunching an Instagram account to stay in touch with the Minions, the Big Scary Show, and whatnot. Just give me some time, because being off social media can actually be a really nice thing, too. Second point worth mentioning, and this is important, I am going to be cutting down my output here on the Big Scary Shoot to once a month. I still enjoy doing this, but life has changed quite a bit, and I can simply not manage two segments a month anymore. It's just physically impossible, among many other things. Plus, it will give me a chance to recharge my batteries. And after the COVID crisis, I've had a lot of things to think about, and this was one of them. And while, like I said, I'm not leaving, I am going to slow it down a little bit. I'll still be part of the Big Scary Show for a long time to come, I promise you that. I've been here six and a half years, and I'm going to see what happens if I can make it all the way to ten. But time will tell on that one regardless. After all is said and done, I want to wish, along with my wife, everyone out there who listens to the show, a very Merry Christmas. Make the most of it, and please, people, please be careful and make your choices wisely in the midst of this crisis. COVID will not be here forever. We've conquered polio, we conquered rubella, we conquered a smallpox. We will conquer this, but it will take time and patience. And yes, it's not fun running around with a mask all the time and being stuck at home for the majority of your days, but this too shall pass. So my and my wife's best wishes for 2021, and hopefully by the end of that year, we will be in a much, much better place. So, until 2021, again, Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year to everyone, we'll see everybody in January, and always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bite mama goodnight, and again, season's greetings to one and all. Be safe, be happy, and be grateful. That's what it's all about, folks, and we will see you again in the new year. Take care, until then.
It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle bells. Merry Christmas! Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. This is delicious, honey. It's a little dry. Well, mine's delicious. Mine's dry. Do you want to trade? It's the It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. With those holiday greetings and How are we going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? heard something on the roof. What the hell is this? St. Nicholas is not coming this year. Instead, a much darker ancient spirit. Those are hooves. Elk or a goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus. He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Everybody, hold on to each other. He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. up your show need to pump new life into old props just want to show something no one else has do what alice cooper distortions unlimited and a-list haunters all over the world do wear von Karen. durable handcrafted dependable year after year von Karen. when you scare enough to wear the very best von Karen.com. v-o-n C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Dark Imaginings. Von Caron Productions. Haunt Pay. Ticket Leap. And Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MaulMonsters.com, that's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist. 
for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.